When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. Welcome to another action-packed, exciting edition, in which we explore the unimagined, the imagined, the unexplained, the explained, and those other things that need exploring. Now, we all know about uh, states' rights, right? Uh, there's always a battle. There's always a tension. There's always an exploration about what rights you have in what are states rights versus what are federal rights. And this has been a discussion that we've been having since 1776 and especially since 1788. This has been subject to, in some cases, a civil war. It's been subject to all sorts of judicial decisions. Usually when the subject of states rights comes about, it's states' rights versus federal rights. What can a state do versus what can the federal government do? Now, what about when you're dealing with state versus state? We know it's been settled that states really can't call, coin their own money. New York can't have a currency versus a New Jersey currency, but they can have and do have their own flags, for instance. There's a state of New York flag, state of New Jersey flag, state of Nevada flag, so on and so forth. So what about crimes that are committed in certain states, whether they're serious crimes or not so serious? Well, I got bad news for you. If you kill someone in New York and you live in Nevada, chances are still pretty good that you're going to be prosecuted for that crime in New York. What about if you are committing a traffic infraction in one state versus another? Well, there. There, it's not quite so simple. If you are driving 80 miles per hour in New York and you're from somewhere else and the police pull you over, you're going to have to pay that ticket. If you don't, you're not going you're going to have a hard time. Now, if you live in New York though, and you get a ticket in any other state, you do have to pay it. But here's what's interesting. If you get points, if it's a violation that you would generally get points on your driver's license for, which could lead to higher insurance premiums, it could even lead to suspension of your driver's license, you don't get the points in New York. Now, what about if you commit that traffic infraction in New York and if you're from some other state? What's the answer there? The answer very simply is it depends. Uh, For example, drivers from Florida, Massachusetts, Michigan, Missouri, Nebraska, South Carolina, Texas, and Virginia will receive the full amount of points for out-of-state traffic violations as if they were committed right at home. Now, what New Jersey does is very interesting. 
if a New Jersey driver commits a New York traffic infraction that comes with points, this is what New Jersey does. They'll you receive two points for every out-of-state traffic violation. Uh, California drivers have one point assessed for minor violations and two points for major violations. So it's totally up to the state in terms of what the penalties you have to deal with for another state. Additionally, many states will suspend your license if you're convicted of an out-of-state traffic offense that would have resulted in a suspension were committed at home. Why are we talking about this? What does this all mean? Why does this make any sort of a difference? Because I think what New Jersey is doing now and what they are poised to do is really interesting. It has really interesting implications for every state in our union, but especially for New York. Now, I have generally been opposed to red light cameras and speed cameras. I used to be all the time opposed to it, but my position on this has softened. Now, I think there's no, you know, if you're going to have them in school zones, that makes sense to me. I think uh, what New York is doing in having these speed cameras and red light cameras operate 24 hours a day, to me, I don't like that. Because while I'm cognizant of the fact that maybe it does make people slow down and make them more aware of red light cameras, no matter what time of the day, the conditions when I'm driving in uh, at 11 p.m. are a lot different than the conditions when I'm driving in at 9 a.m. The conditions when I'm driving home at 5 a.m. are a lot different than the conditions when I'm driving home at 5 p.m. It's just I don't think it should be operating 24 hours a day. I recognize the safety implications, but whatever. New York's moving in that direction. A lot of other states have moved in that direction as well. Now, listen to what New Jersey is doing. This is bipartisan, and it has the support of the president of the state Senate in New Jersey. Now, New Jersey drivers are getting hammered by out-of-state tickets. Not just getting pulled over by cops, but these speed cameras and red light cameras, the New Jerseyans are being forced to pay them like you wouldn't believe. So in an effort to better protect New Jersey drivers from out-of-state enforcement camera-based citations, a couple of weeks ago, and this appears poised to pass the whole Senate and probably get the governor's signature, a couple of weeks ago, The Senate Law and Public Safety Committee advanced legislation that would prohibit the New Jersey Motor Vehicle Commission and any other state entity from disclosing a driver's personal information to other states seeking to issue speed camera or red red light camera citations. In other words, what New Jersey is doing is they are saying if you get a traffic violation – Because of a speed camera or a red light camera in any other state outside of New Jersey, California, Nevada, Texas, Connecticut, um, Massachusetts, whatever, New York, Rhode Island. You know all the rest of the states. I'm not going to try and name all 50. I'll only embarrass myself. They're saying if you get a ticket in any other state that's due to a camera, a robot, not not a person, you don't have to pay it. Now, 
Obviously, the big loser in this whole thing is the states that are closest to New Jersey, like New York, that have red light cameras. Because from New York's point of view, we want to bang those New Jersey drivers out like crazy because that's more revenue for New York. And then and New Yorkers aren't paying it. It's those suckers from New Jersey that have to pay. But my question for you is, is this something that every state should do? Do you think, would you like to see your state, whatever state that is, protect you from red light cameras and speed cameras in other states? Because on the one hand, it makes some sense. By the way, if you want to weigh in on this, 800-848-9222, we have wide open phones, eight open lines. Uh, We have a new phone screener named Kenneth, so uh, I didn't warn him that he's got to tell everybody to turn their radio off. So if he doesn't remind you, consider yourself reminded. Please turn your radio off once you get on hold. But do give us a call, 800-848-9222. But on the one hand, it makes sense. You know, you're from another state. You don't know the policies when it comes to red light cameras. You don't know the policies when it comes to uh, speed cameras. But on the other hand, why should a violation that comes to you from a camera be any different than a violation that comes to you from a police officer in that state? I'm sort of of two minds about this. I think this actually has the potential to open a whole can of worms about how states can protect their citizens from prosecution in other jurisdictions, other states and other municipalities. And I have a feeling that this uh, this legislation that New Jersey is poised to pass here could be um, something that is heard by the high court one day. 800-848-922. I'd love to know your opinion of it. Whatever state you live in, and especially if you live in New Jersey, if you live in New Jersey, are you looking at this as a license to basically reenact a Formula One race every time you go to New York, Connecticut, Rhode Island, or some other state? I wonder. 800-848-9222. What do you think? Speaking of the Supreme Court, we have an action-packed show for you today. Uh, I am really excited about this. Um, you know, if, you, if you're new to this show, if you're one of our new listener, listeners in the Silver State of Nevada or one of our many new um, staff members here, we have uh, – Alex is getting this ever-increasing bureaucracy, and it's really going to his head. Maybe we'll meet some of them later. I have no real discernible political ideology. I have no idea what my ideology is. I have no idea whether I'm conservative, liberal. I always I kind of think of myself as liberal, but then I see what happens with political correctness and cancel culture, and I am not crazy about uh, calling myself a liberal. The one thing that I believe in is increasing power of the voters and increasing democracy. And that's why I get so frustrated when the Supreme Court nullifies federal laws and and nullifies laws that are passed by democratically elected state legislators. Well, uh, I came across this fascinating article written by a gentleman that I believe is a conservative. He's a historian from New Orleans. Logan East, and he basically says that if conservatives had listened to Theodore Roosevelt on the Supreme Court and this idea of judicial supremacy back in 1912, that conservatives and conservatism would be much better off today than uh, than it actually is. Instead, 
Uh, most conservatives these days agree with the people that uh, Roosevelt was running against that year, Wilson and Taft, that the courts are independent and uh, whatever the people say, they can just go to hell. So we're going to have a discussion about Theodore Roosevelt and this idea of judicial supremacy and really look at where what the proper role of the Supreme Court is. And one of our most controversial topics of late was the issue of nude beaches, not nude beaches, excuse me, topless beaches in Nantucket, on the island of Nantucket. Well, we've tracked her down. The woman who has proposed that change in Nantucket to allow topless beaches, she's going to join me. Uh, And it just so happens she is a veteran sex educator. So we're going to explore that in the 4 o'clock hour. But I'm really excited about this. In the 3 o'clock hour, one of my favorite musicians and a guy who might be one of my favorite people, Don McLean, who brought us the song American Pie 50 years ago. 50 years ago. Can you believe it? He's going to join us to talk about the anniversary of that song and some of the other exciting things that he's doing. Now, let's hear what you have to say on the issue of whether or not you think a state should be able to protect its motorists from red light cameras in other states. 1-800-848-9222. There are one, two, three open lines. Let me say hello to Dave in New Jersey. Hello, Dave. Hello, Frank. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Sure. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at both sides of this uh, with regard to the tickets and disseminating the information. Uh, You know, on one hand, uh, it's a nice gift to be able to, you know, break the law, basically, and not have to pay for it. Uh, Not really sure why we would want people coming into this state and doing that. and to that point, if you think about it, if this actually gets implemented, people will know, especially in New Jersey, you know, we, we go in and out of different states like it's a different county or a town. Uh, they'll know that they can just step on the gas and drive like right. a maniac right. without any repercussions. No, I, I know. I'm wondering how people in other states are feeling about this. One, because they're going to have to deal with these crazed New Jersey motorists now. And two, I'm wondering if they want this same protection from their state. And honestly, I do wonder. We They use the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause for everything these days. They use it for everything. I, I do, don't see how a New Yorker who, if this passes in New Jersey, how a New Yorker who gets a red light ticket or a speeding ticket doesn't immediately try to go to federal court to have this ticket invalidated because of uh, the 14th Amendment. Because you are treating people that live across the bridge a lot differently. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? The answer is I don't know. I think it's a slippery slope, I have to tell you. 800-848-9222. Mark is in the Queens. Hello, Mark. Hey, good morning. Morning. Uh, Yeah, as far as the Jersey camera thing, if you get a ticket here, you're from Jersey, and you say, to hell with it, I'm not going to pay it because I'm protected. In New York, if you don't pay that ticket, the next time you come in and one of those license plate readers on a cop car spots you, that car is getting impounded. And you could be arrested for not paying the ticket. But, but Mark, the state of New Jersey is specifically prohibiting 
its entities, including the Motor Vehicle Commission, from giving any data, including the I, the address, the name of that motorist. They don't have to. What, well, why don't they have plate. to? No, the, the license plate itself will be recorded in New York as non-paying but, the ticket. But follow me, so though, Mike. the next Mark. time that license plate is spotted, New York can stop that car and arrest the driver. But, but Mark, I, I don't think so. Because let's say I live in New Jersey and let's say I borrow my father's car and I speed in that in, in New York in my father's car and I'm doing 85 and uh, the New Jersey won't release any information about my father's address. How are they going to know the next time my father drives in New York that uh, that, 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 t- that car has been ticketed? They they will put the warrant on the vehicle itself. Yeah, I I, I think um, I, I think that's going to be we we have that now. If you go through a red light camera and you're a New Yorker in New York, you can say, "Hey, I wasn't driving the the car." You have to say who was driving it, and you have to go to court to do that. If you just pay it, there's no points. Yeah, I, it's I, all for revenue. I, I uh, look, I'll look into this legislation a bit more closely, Mark. But I don't think I think. The state of New Jersey, the Senate president and the Republican co-sponsors, because I guess this is bipartisan, they are they are making provisions to protect their citizens from precisely such an eventuality. But uh, you may be right. I'm not an expert on law enforcement, but I don't think you are. 800-848-9222. George is in Tom's River. Hello, George. Yeah, hi. New Jersey used to have red light cameras. And... Uh... Um, one of the uh, senators, state senator uh, Declan O'Scanlan. Yeah, he he found that the timing between right. the yellow and the red wasn't accurate. So you'd be it would turn yellow and let, uh, you know I'm just going to throw out a number in four, you know three seconds it would turn red. Well, some of the cameras were tur- you know the lights were turning red quicker than the time that it was supposed right. to be. Right. No, no, that's exactly how they got them thrown out. That's exactly right. right. So they threw them out. So like if you go in Illinois, you know, in Chicago, if you go 5 miles per hour over the speed limit, it's 35. If you go 6, it jumps up to 100. Now, how you know you're talking, you know, I don't know exactly how their roads are in Chicago, but I wouldn't want to be hit with a whole bunch of these tickets, and the thing is, you can't even, you know, they say that this is what you're doing. You don't you don't have anyone to go to. You should be pulled over by the officer right. and face your accuser. Yeah, well, that's why I've always tended to oppose a lot of these these red light cameras and speed cameras, but, and, and, and if it means hiring more cops to implement it, I'm all for that. So it sounds like, George, you're all for this legislation. Exactly. Yeah. I I suspect a lot of New Jerseyans are. We're going to continue with your calls in a moment. We've got got some other stuff to get to. Then we're going to talk about Theodore Roosevelt, judicial supremacy in the Supreme Court. We'll talk American Pie and Don McClain. 800-848-9222. More of your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Big dish 
Well, if the state of New Jersey legislators sang this song, they would be singing, We Will Shield You. That would be the chorus, because they want to shield you from getting red light tickets and speed camera tickets in other parts, in other states. Good idea, bad idea. Is it good if you're in New Jersey? Is it good if you're in a state that's not New Jersey? 800-848-9222. But I also want to ask your opinion on another thing. And you can email me on this because we're not going to – we have a guest coming up in a minute. We're not going to have a chance to explore this in too much depth here because of those of you that are holding on the, um, on the traffic ticket issue, I want to get to you. But I have a friend. He's been a friend of mine for many years, 16, 17 years. We go back a ways. Close friends. And he started off a normal-looking guy, right? And He's Caucasian. And most of my life has looked – Caucasian. About a year ago, I noticed that he is now essentially doing a Rachel Dolezal impersonation. Okay? He has become not tan, not orange, like uh, John Boehner or President Trump. He has become black, right? He has changed his pigmentation with excessive tanning. It's almost so that, I mean, he is as tan as any person I've ever known. And I've tried to kind of, I started out by kind of poke, jokingly poking fun at him over this. Didn't do anything to change his behavior. Then his parents spoke to him. They said, you know, Rich, you're, you're getting too tan. This might be what they call tanorexia. And he tells them, and I don't think there's any truth to this, but he tells them, well, my doctor told me I'm not getting enough vitamin D and I have to go tanning in order to up my vitamin D supply. Now, I think that's total nonsense. But clearly, he thinks this looks good. I, as his friend, am concerned about his health because we all know tanning is not a healthy thing for you. But as someone that has to be seen for, with him, It's incredibly embarrassing to see someone that looks like they're walking around in blackface all the time. So what do you do if you have a friend that's suffering from tanorexia and so far attempts to do an intervention on this have been unsuccessful? You can call me. I probably won't get to your call for a while. Or you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Eric is calling from the Midwest. Eric, whereabouts are you in the Midwest? Yeah, I am in the state of Iowa. Iowa. Okay. Is it true what um, what they say about Iowa, that there are more pigs than people? Uh, that's probably true. I would say it's probably true. All right. Well, well good. I'm, uh, I'm, you get to shine every four years with that Iowa Iowa caucus. Uh, good for you guys. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. So my, my family's out in New York right now. We vacation out in, in New York every summer. And uh, I'm actually a state legislator here in Iowa. Oh, great. And we, we have the uh, the conversation about traffic cameras, um, it, it seems like, every year. And, and we do have a few in the state of Iowa. And, and typically they're in accident reduction zones on the interstate. And I was initially, like you had said, just opposed to them, but now I've seen, uh, you know, what what they do, and particularly for our, our peace officers. Uh, many places where the traffic cameras are, it's just it's extremely unsafe for officers to stop a vehicle because of 
there's so many accidents and it's, and it's risky. And, and I think that if, you know, New Jersey implements a law like that, I think it would be a tick for tack with other states. Well, so and, are you guys going to look to do this in Iowa, let's say, if uh, New Jersey goes forward with this? Well, I, I can't, you know, certainly I, I can't speak to for anybody, but, you know, I, I think a lot of legislators, legislatures across the country pay attention to what other states are doing. And I think so you think this could lead. I think you're right, Eric. I think this could lead to state after state essentially protecting their own citizens at the expense of out of staters, quite literally. Eric, thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling from Iowa. Good luck with the the Hawkeye Hawkeye. Jennifer uh, calling from Stony Point. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. That red light cameras are a total scam. Because I got a red light ticket for New York City when I wasn't even driving in Brooklyn at midnight near the Barclays Center. And it was impossible to fight it until I realized that when when they claim I was in Brooklyn, I had dealer plates on. My mm. I didn't have my official license plate yet. So I called my dealer, which happened to be Ramsey Subaru, which I know Ramsey Automobiles um, is associated with your station, so go Ramsey. But um, they finally wrote a letter to New York City and stated that I did not have those license plates on my car when they claimed I had the ticket. And the situation was my license plate has a Y in it, and the one that ran the ticket was actually a V. So it misread. So did you did you get it vacated? They, I finally did. Well, I'm glad. I'm sorry you had to go through all that trouble. But Jennifer, real quick, because I want to try and get to one or two other people here. Tell me your opinion about what New Jersey's doing to make it so that their citizens don't have to pay the red light cameras in states like New York. Are you sitting there clapping, saying, "I wish New York would do the same thing," or are you a little Absolutely. fearful? You are. So you want New York to do this? Yes. Interesting. I just think this whole red light camera is a scam and there there was no proof i kept asking what proof do you have and Mm. they had no proof yeah well i'm very leery of these red light cameras for some of the same reasons let me squeeze in one more call here uh before we uh talk about theodore roosevelt in the supreme court neil is on staten island how is maine neil you know what frank it was god's country you go out you don't hear a car you don't see anything you just smell the the crisp air it was absolutely beautiful how did all the folks up there seem to enjoy ranked choice voting I have no idea, Frank. Oh, fair I, enough. Okay. I can't talk politics because everyone's a Democrat, and when I say something, uh, they, they clam up. You know, <laughs> They don't want to talk politics with me, Frank. All they right, so to, give me your view on what Jersey's doing in protecting their citizens on these red light cameras. I, I, well, you know, what we should do is I know Virginia at one time, uh, they upped the fine for non-state residents who were speeding. So maybe we should do that. Maybe we should uh, uh, charge more fines for non-state residents to make up for the ones that they won't tell us about? Or why don't we just go into uh, New Jersey or use the turnpike, uh, not take our easy path, and uh, they try to bill us? I I think this is exactly what this is going to lead to. I I think you're going to look to see New York uh, state troopers follow any New Jersey license plate on the thruway uh, or any any New York uh, cop follow uh, New Jersey license plates on the highways within New York City and look to jam them up because they're getting away with other stuff. And and I think that is precisely the danger. And Eric alluded to this from Iowa. That is precisely the danger on this. Um, This might go to the Supreme Court one day. Who knows? We're going to talk about the role of the Supreme Court in terms of judicial 
review, a.k.a. Judicial Supremacy with Logan East. He's an independent historian from Louisiana, and he wrote this terrific column uh, on Theodore Roosevelt's campaign in 1912 and his view in that campaign of the Supreme Court. We'll explore it straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. I'm going to be a strong candidate for the catchiest song of all time. Uh, the only thing this particular version is missing is Peter Griffin. Am I right? Uh, that would really make it the bee's knees. I'll tell you, um, I have no idea what uh, what ideology I subscribe to politically. Absolutely none. If, I, if you ask me to sum up my political philosophy in a word, it would, or in a sentence, a thought, it would be that... I believe in democracy. I believe that voters should have more power. And if voters go to the trouble of enacting something, either through a popular referendum or through their democratically elected legislators who they're free to throw out every two years, that those laws should not be nullified by nine unelected judges in black robes that serve for life. Now, I've said this for years. I've said this when liberal legislation gets struck down. I've said this when conservative legislation gets struck down. And generally, I succeed only in getting both conservatives and liberals to scream at me. And that's why I'm really the guy that brings America together. I am the one person that conservatives and liberals can scream at with equal enthusiasm. Well, no less an authority than Theodore Roosevelt had a similar philosophy. I got to tell you, I discovered this great column uh, a week or two ago in, um, uh, in American Affairs Journal. I've linked to it on my Facebook page. You can read it for yourself. It's brilliant uh, at Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. It's a couple of years old, but it's more relevant now than ever. And we tracked down uh, the historian that wrote this, Logan Stagg East. He's an independent historian in New Orleans, Louisiana, and his recent work has dealt with the nature of constitutional politics during the Gilded Age and the Progressive Era. And I'm thrilled uh, that we've got him uh, on the show this morning. Logan, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Hi, Frank. Uh, thanks for having me. So, Logan, I, I've disclosed my biases to the yeah. the public. I try to let everybody, whether they're conservative or liberal, kind of guard themselves against any hidden agenda that a guest or a commentator might be trying to foist upon them. So just so people know, it doesn't matter to me either way. But what are your biases? What, are, what, what political ideology do you subscribe to? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Um, and, and I agree, too. Um, I, I am on the conservative end of the spectrum. Uh, and you were right. I think you mentioned earlier that the 
article is kind of geared towards a conservative audience. And in 2020, that's who I thought uh, would be the relevant audience for what I was trying to say. But if you want to make God laugh, you know, tell him your plans. <laughs> and, and now, in a strange way, I think that the shoe's on the other foot. And, and the reason I chose to write about a character like Theodore Roosevelt, who I think you've expressed admiration for in the past, and I certainly admire, is that he was a president who has broad appeal not only to conservatives but also to mm. liberals. He really is a president that belongs not to any one political philosophy but to the American people broadly. And so I am on the conservative end of the spectrum, but what we're going to talk about today, I, I hope, should appeal to anyone who believes in popular sovereignty. So is that what sparked your interest in studying and writing about Theodore Roosevelt and his bull moose candidacy, the fact that he was sort of uh, uh, someone that appealed across the political spectrum? Yes, and also because I thought he would be a provocative target for conservatives, because conservatives are today, and you know I'm speaking in broad terms, uh, they'll refer to Theodore Roosevelt as this sort of manly, charismatic character who wanted to reform and clean up society and shot animals and all that, and all of that's true. Uh, but at the same time, he espoused a lot of ideas that would make many modern-day so-called conservatives uncomfortable, especially his views on democracy or the court system or things you would say, um, but that goes for liberals as well. So I thought if I wanted to disrupt the conversation and mm. kind of check people's thoughts, it'd be a good good place to go. Now, uh, so if people aren't familiar uh, with the history of what had gone on in 1912, uh, Theodore Roosevelt had taken over for President McKinley, who was assassinated, finished McKinley's term, then in 1904 was reelected in his own right. In 1908, he's still probably the most popular guy in America. He endorses his uh, hand-picked successor, William Howard Taft, who gets elected in 1908, 1912, Theodore Roosevelt decides to come back and run again. He uh, tries to wrest the Republican nomination from his handpicked successor, and a guy that was a close friend of his, Taft, is not able to do it. He chooses to run third party, the Progressive Party, a.k.a. the Bull Moose Party. What was it in 1912, uh, specifically, Logan, uh, that precipitated Theodore Roosevelt's break from the GOP? Yeah, and, and there were a lot of things. Now, most coverages of the 1912 election will focus on the personal disagreements with Taft. They'll focus on a lot of progressive-era reforms that Roosevelt thought he was the best to pass, and that Taft was incapable of passing them, and, and all of that's there. But an issue that was not is not as discussed heavily in the history books and that I wanted to bring attention to is the role of the Supreme Court in making decisions about what laws uh, – or rather making decisions about when laws should and shouldn't be struck down as being unconstitutional. And in the progressive era, in the early 1900s, what they were facing was the Supreme Court. It's called the, the Lochner era in jurisprudence, where the Supreme Court was striking down a lot of popular state laws um, because of the 14th Amendment, which we can discuss if you'd like, uh, that were regulating what businesses were doing. So, for instance, the Lochner decision actually comes out of New York State, uh, and it, it had tried to – the, the, it was called the Bake Shop Act. It had tried to restrict the working hours bakers were doing to try and prevent them from being overworked. And the Supreme Court struck it down as unconstitutional under the name of the freedom of the liberty of contract. And so what Roosevelt was saying was that, look, as reformers, we need to be able to pass laws to limit what businesses are doing because it's taking advantage of people. Uh, and the court is stopping us from doing it. It's, I think the quote I used was, 
it's making the Constitution a means of thwarting the people themselves, um, something to that effect. So Theodore Roosevelt's unhappy with a lot of the Supreme Court decisions striking down popular legislation in a lot of his early speeches. He makes this the defining issue that he differs from Taft on. Here's a little bit of Theodore Roosevelt campaigning in 1912. There is grave discontent and unrest, and in order to remove them, there is need of all the wisdom and probity and deep-seated faith and purpose to uplift humanity we have at our command. Friends, our task as Americans is to strive for social and industrial justice achieved through the genuine rule of the people. This is our end, our purpose. The methods for achieving the end are merely expedients to be finally accepted or rejected according as actual experience shows that they work well or ill. But in our hearts we must have this lofty purpose and to strive for it in all earnestness and sincerity for our work will come to nothing. You write that Theodore Roosevelt made the popular constitution and deferring to the people a big part of his campaign in 1912. What did he mean and what do you mean when you use that term popular constitution? Thank you. Um, so one thing that we should consider, and this, this brings me to the core of the point, is whenever we ask ourselves, who is it that determines what is and isn't constitutional today? Pretty much everyone looks to the Supreme Court. That's that's all the debate really is about, is what are we going to get the justices to say up or down on an issue, which is why uh, judicial appointment hearings are so um, tumultuous today. But if you ask someone in the 1800s, you know, what is and isn't constitutional, they debate it. Uh, is a national bank constitutional? Is the Louisiana Purchase constitutional? Is having mail delivered on a Sunday or not on a Sunday constitutional? And the way they answered those questions then, uh, the same way, you know, when Thomas Jefferson was running against John Adams after the Alien Sedition Act is they voted. Uh, Andrew Jackson says that the National Bank is unconstitutional, so he runs for president, among other reasons. And when he's president, he vetoes uh, the bank renewal bill. And so they solve a problem that way. Increasingly, in the progressive era, you see the court trying to make more and more pronounced decisions. Uh, in the name of individual economic liberty, limiting popular decisions. And what Theodore Roosevelt was trying to say was, look, they're they're expanding what rights were granted in the 14th Amendment to proportions that were never intended by the actual 14th Amendment, which was a popular piece of legislation itself. Um, and, and that is also what I would say. We, we have come to rely on every interpretation that's coming from the court and it's leading them to make decisions, whether it's personal liberty, say abortion rights, or economic liberty, freedom of contract, uh, and not putting more of those debates in the public square uh, where really that kind of debate belongs. Uh, we're talking with Logan Stagg East. He's a historian in Louisiana, written a great piece. We're barely going to scratch the surface on it, but I want to encourage everyone to go to my Facebook page and read it, facebook.com slash Fan. You use throughout your piece and uh, throughout a, a thesis, the thesis that you wrote for graduate school, a term that I use, judicial supremacy. Is there a difference in your view between judicial supremacy and judicial review? Yes. Okay, so judicial review is, you know, it's the term we all learn in civics. It's the power of the court to review laws, determine their meaning, and strike down a law that is deemed unconstitutional. 
And that basic power was proposed in the Federalist Papers way back, Alexander Hamilton, in the debate over ratifying the Constitution. And it's kind of implied in the in the responsibility of the Supreme Court to interpret laws. You know, if, for instance, we have a First Amendment right to free speech and the federal government tries to say you can't express your political speech, we would hope that the Supreme Court would strike that down as unconstitutional. And that's that's just judicial review. Um, but. In the 1800s, there's kind of this ambiguous relationship. You know, the court can determine some parts of the laws, but a lot of those questions, you know, what is necessary and proper, the necessary and proper clause, is debated in the public square. And so we have sort of the popular uh, constitution, which is debated at the ballot, and then we have the the other half of the constitution decided on the bench at the court. Um, And today, what judicial supremacy is, is really this sort of admittance or the the public belief that all all final constitutional questions ultimately are answered at the Supreme Court. And what Theodore Roosevelt proposed, he wasn't the only one, um, actually many Democrats and Republicans at the time were proposing reforms, was that there should be some kind of popular either recall of judges or recall of judicial decisions if a large enough body of the people disagreed with the decision. And so have some kind of a popular check in addition to the judicial check. What we have now is if the Supreme Court says that something is or isn't constitutional, that's just it. And what that results in is this sort of morbid death watch where, uh, you know, politicians wait. They don't admit it, but they wait for a justice to die. Um, and right. then we race to try and get our judges in. And, and that's not uh, – no one wants that to be how the Constitution is determined, I don't think. Logan, um, I wish we had more time. I only have about a minute left, but I'm hoping maybe we can continue this conversation one day next week. That's convenient sure. for you. But the conservatives in our audience, I want you to speak to your conservative brethren. They're feeling great about the Supreme Court these days. They're striking down gun laws in New York that people don't like. They're undoing the Roe v. Wade decision. They're striking down EPA restrictions. Why should conservatives listening to this conversation want to change anything when they're enjoying the fruits of a conservative Supreme Court right now? (laughs) Right. I would only say that um, two years ago, liberals could have felt that they were in the same position and the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. If you believe that the Supreme Court is the final arbiter in what your rights are and not your neighbors and the people themselves, um, that's not what the founding fathers thought in 1776. And it's, it's, you could be in the same position two years from now, so I would warn them. Yeah, uh, Logan Logan Stag East, I want to encourage everybody to read this piece. And again, I do hope we can continue this conversation one day next week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you can give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. I want to warn you, I don't pretend to have Logan's expertise either as a constitutional scholar or a historian, but that's why you probably will have an easier time debating with me than you would with him. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
800-848-9222. A few of you have been patiently holding. Let me get to your calls uh, before we run out of time this hour. Any subject is fair game. Don McLean joining me at 3.30, and then we'll talk topless beaches in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, uh, Five open lines if you want to jump on board. 800-848-9222. Terry is in Ossining, New York. Hello, Terry. Hello again, Frank Milano. I, I try to call you on and off, and every time I keep getting disconnected, I don't know what's going on. Well, the one of us, one of us has some explaining to do, that's for sure. Yeah, not on off. But anyway, um, I wanted to mention to you, you were talking about your friend uh, uh, doing that tanning thing. You know, I just want to make a joke about it. They made a movie about that called Stealing Harvard. I don't know if you ever saw it. I actually didn't, so I don't get the joke, but uh, I will assume that it's funny if I had seen the film. You should watch a movie with C. Thomas Al, Ray Dawn Chong, and James Earl Jones. Jones, the guy gets uh, some tanning pills, turns himself black, so he can get a scholarship to go to college. Oh, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure that's my friend's motive here, but uh, whatever the case may be, it is. It is just a funny movie. But anyway, I just um, I wanted to say, you know, I'm not going to hang on the line too long. Um, I went to a uh, New Year's Eve party years ago when they had a karaoke machine. Um, today, the guy made me sing Don McLean's American Pie. Uh, well, I'm going to let Don know. I'm going to let Don know that you paid tribute to him with your popular rendition of that song. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I don't think there's a secret that all across this country, city after city, there is a big problem with crime. Violent crime is on the rise. Okay, we can discuss why that's the case. We can discuss what the best way to combat that is. And those are all interesting discussions. Those are all discussions I'm prepared to have when necessary. But one of the things that this and other factors are leading to is an exodus of cops from police departments all around the country, including the New York City Police Department, which is the, as far as I'm concerned, the finest police department in the world, in the world, not the country, the world. And we're seeing story after story of retirements going up. Uh, People saying, "Okay, I don't care. I'm willing to leave before my 20 years is up. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to just be done with this. And it's a variety of factors. A lot of cops don't feel like they're able to do police work anymore without risking their pension or an indictment. Uh, The so-called Freddie Gray effect, the so-called Ferguson effect, where proactive policing has been replaced by police who are afraid to look at a suspect the wrong way. So one of the things that's been reported in the New York Post, and this is one of those stories. Look, the New York Post is a tabloid, right? We know this. And the New York Post has an interest, especially in the era of digital journalism, in getting clicks, right? So they they tend to put out a lot of headlines and a lot of articles that are, for lack of a better description, clickbait. So this is one of those articles that I hope is inaccurate or exaggerated, 
but I fear is absolutely 100% true. The NYPD dramatically relaxed the fitness requirements to become a New York City cop. Um, Amidst this wave of record retirements, this has the police department desperate for warm bodies to fill the ranks of the NYPD, as reported by the New York Post. The department replaced, you know, as you know, to be a cop, they don't let they don't let you do it if you can't uh, be up to the physical rigors of the job. So the department replaced a fake six foot wall inside the police academy gym with a chain link fence that's easier to climb. That's according to official recruiting videos that are posted online. This move came after a cell phone was used last year to record a series of out of shape wannabe cops trying and failing to get up over that wall. So the wall was too tough for people to get over as part of the physical test. What did they do? They got rid of it. Just replaced it with a chain link fence. A copy of this compilation video that was obtained by the New York Post shows one applicant hanging his head in shame following two futile attempts. The the barrier surmount, which is what they call it, is one of six tasks that comprise a physical exam known as the job standard tests that would-be cops have to pass before beginning six months of training at the academy in, uh, in Queens. So, and to boost the passing rate, the three-minute, 28-second time limit that was in place three years ago was extended nearly a full minute to four minutes and 28 seconds. One dis- disgusted cop said it's really not hard to pass the fitness test, which includes repeatedly running up and down a six-step staircase and using a weight machine that's supposed to mimic struggling with a suspect. Quote, if you can't pass the basic requirements for being a police officer, you shouldn't be one. That's what one veteran police officer told the New York Post. In addition to easing the job standard test, the NYPD appears to have totally scrapped a rule that required recruits to run a mile and a half in 14 minutes and 28 seconds or less to graduate from the academy. By the way, can I say something? I am as out of shape as can be. I can run a mile and a half in 14 minutes and 28 seconds. It's not a difficult thing to do. I I think I could walk a mile and a half in 14 minutes and 28 seconds. And they're doing away with this as a requirement? That qualification, the mile and a half in 14 minutes and 21 seconds, that qualification is posted on an official webpage that features this uh, 2019 video detailing uh, some of these requirements, but it's not part of another that features last year's video. So sources told the newspaper that the 1.5-mile run has not been officially eliminated, but the top brass were considering scrapping it, with one saying so many people are retiring in droves and they have to fill these positions. This past weekend, the uh, Post had reported that more than 2,100 cops had retired or quit the NYPD amidst a record-shattering exodus this year. Um, Question, if you're a citizen that relies, as I do, on the NYPD for protection, 
How do you feel about the fact that they are going to be doing away with these fitness requirements? I got to tell you, I'm as nervous as can be. 800-848-9222. If you're a cop, either present day or retired, do you think this is true? Or is this the New York Post being selective with sources? Because they do that with the Post. They can be a little sensationalist. They have an agenda and they want to, you know, look for any article that feeds into that agenda. Is this the New York Post making a mountain out of a molehill? You can tell me. We'll protect your anonymity. 800-848-9222. If you are listening elsewhere in the country, in any city in America, are you seeing this in your city? meaning the exodus of cops, not necessarily the relaxing of the fitness tests. And if you are seeing it, why is that the case? Is it for the reasons that I stated or are there other factors? 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Coming up in about an hour, I am very much looking forward to talking with uh, Don McClain, uh, the man responsible for the classic song American Pie. Uh, uh, by the way, there's, I wanted to also get into the Joe Rogan story. Now, I like Joe Rogan mostly as a warrior for free speech. I like Joe Rogan. I don't listen to his podcast, but he strikes me as a guy that just doesn't give a damn. He doesn't. He doesn't care what people say. He doesn't care what's politically correct, and he loves having these long form conversations, as I do, uh, with different people on uh, different subjects. And he said something very interesting on his podcast this week, and it's getting a lot of attention. Joe Rogan uh, said that he's passed on multiple opportunities to have former President Trump on his podcast. We're going to get into that in, uh, in, in a little bit later this hour because I thought that was pretty interesting. Trump, uh, love him or hate him, a lot of people are interested in what Donald Trump has to say, so I'm surprised that Rogan would uh, would pass on the opportunity to have Donald Trump on that show. Charlie is in Chester, New Jersey. Hello, Charlie. Oh, thank you, Frank. I, I got something for you. I had a religion idea I came up with tonight. Uh, the children of the light are the humans and liberal nature. But we got to beware of the dark lord and his negative nature troops. That's a, re- a religion idea I came up with. All right. Well, are you looking for that tax-exempt status? Is that why you're doing it? Uh, I, I got, uh, what I try to do, uh, see there's prejudices in America that people complain about, but, uh, the one I'm complaining about is, uh, people that, uh, prejudice against polytheists. (laughs) Right, Charlie. Thank you. Wilfred is in Newark, New Jersey. Hello, Wilfred. Hello. Hey, this is, you think that is, that is probably 99% true because, they're doing the same thing in the military. They're not, they dropped requirements because women couldn't pass, couldn't pass it, couldn't pass this knee bend or something. They couldn't pass it, so they dropped it. Now, they they did that years ago when I was working for Bell Telephone. They started wanting to hire women, yeah. So they hired all these women, but they couldn't carry the ladder. Well, you know, and when there was a when there was an argument for women uh, increasing the number of women firefighters, that was precisely what I said at the time. I said, I'm all for having more women firefighters as long as they're able to pass this pass the same 
physical, you know, requirements exactly. that men are. But um, uh, so I'm not for relaxing the standards for firefighters or for cops or for the military. And uh, I find this very frightening, to be honest. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. How you doing? I'm telling you, I've been uh, off for two days and I miss you so much. Well, that's very but, um, nice of you. I hope you had a happy Independence Day and a great birthday. Yeah, it was good, good. I drank uh, excessively, <laughs> you know that, and I uh, had a couple of good cigars, and it was a great time with the family. But uh, to your point about uh, the police, believe me, I have a few friends uh, that are cops that are seeking early retirement because they personally feel that they have uh, nobody backing them. Uh, they got targets on their back. And uh, it's it's scary. Uh, two of my friends I talk to on a regular basis, they are actually, one of them is very, very, um, going to see a doctor because he had very bad anxiety to go into work because it's, it's basically they're throwing them into, like, the belly of the beast. And, uh, you know, uh, there's no backup and it's, it's no respect for now, the cops anymore. Is you is the person that you're talking with, uh, is that person a police officer in New York City or on Long Island? New York City. Interesting. Uh, he was trying to he was trying to transfer to Suffolk, but Suffolk is so filled up right now. Because well, that, of, that's what I was just going to ask. Suffolk and Nassau to a lesser extent, but Suffolk is so well known for um, generous police pay and benefits that for years I know a lot of New York City police officers that dreamed of one day working for the Suffolk County Police Force because it's so lucrative. Is Long Island, with their good-paying police officer jobs there, are they also experiencing an exodus of cops, or is the pay that Suffolk and Nassau is giving their cops, is that enough to... You know, st- uh, you know, stem this tide of police exodus. I have a few cops that are on Long Island, or they're like in private um, uh, districts, and they're making over a hundred and forty, hundred and fifty thousand. Where New York City cops also for forty thousand dollars, and uh, you know that to, to give up your life for that, it, it's not worth it. Suffolk, uh, you know, a lot of times they're, they're riding to the car in bad areas. Um, but it's nothing compared to the city. And by the way, Frank, uh, your new call screener, kudos, a really uh, a nice guy, and uh, I think he's going to work out. Well, I hope so. So far, the jury's still out. He's only had an hour to prove himself. Uh, so far, he hasn't made any major mistakes. So that puts him uh, a yeah. long way away, a uh, long way ahead of both uh, Ryan, Alex, and uh, and Philippe. So so far, so far, so good. I'll go with you on that. We'll give we'll give we'll give him the benefit of the doubt so far, but I'm hesitant to speak too soon. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If uh, he hasn't told you already, make sure you turn your radio off. That's the most important thing. All right. uh, We're going to continue with your calls in a moment. And we'll talk about Joe Rogan saying he doesn't want Donald Trump on his show, uh, which I found pretty interesting. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano.
This is uh, Depeche Mode, Personal Jesus. Uh, this is pretty good, I must say. This is uh, an Alex Barnard suggestion, uh, which um, took me by surprise. This is pretty uh, unusual, pretty unorthodox, pretty catchy. I like this. This is good. What, All you right. can't stand my music choices? No, no, it's just, it tends to be, like, you tend to be kind of a one-trick pony. That's that's what I've seen so far. But this, this I think, shows that we're getting you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, zone, Frank, one you know... I just happen to have much better music taste than you. I know. What can I say? I know. Hey, well, you know, that's the thing with music. It is subjective. Uh, but this is, I must say, this is very good. I would not have uh, known about this but for Mr. Alex Barnard. Hey, if you ever want to know um, what uh, music we're playing on the show, join our Facebook group. Just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. That's also meant to be a uh, forum for people who have opinions about this show. Right now, between commercials, I'm battling with Gino about the proper role of the Supreme Court. Now, I think to myself, I've got four hours on the radio every day. I I battle with politicians, constitutional scholars, and media personalities about the role of the Supreme Court. Why Why am I bothering to do it on Facebook? And the sad truth is, I can't help myself. I cannot help myself. So you can argue with Gino so I don't have to if you'd like to. Morano Radio uh, fans and haters. He's, you know, he's a very intelligent guy and a nice guy. I've met Gino. 800-848-9222. Hey, I'll tell you what. Let me give you, uh, let me give you $5 worth of free advice. You ready for this? If you ever see me in your store, you can close early that day. Doesn't matter what kind of store you have. Clothing, uh, power tools, umbrellas, car food, whatever. Um, I am the self-proclaimed world's worst consumer. There are other people that uh, might shop around for a deal. They need to go buy a a widget, a screwdriver, or a bottle of bourbon, or whatever. And um, they will do their research before they even go in the store. And they'll say, oh, boy, okay, well, this generally sells for about $50. Let me go somewhere and see if I could sell it for $40. And then they go in there. And they say, hey, that bottle of uh, Maker's Mark you got there, you're selling it for $55. It's too much. How about I give it to you for, how about we, I give it to you, how about I give you 40? Well, no. How about 45? Right? So they negotiate. They negotiate, the good consumers. I am the world's worst consumer. When I go into a place, whatever it is that's my mission to buy, whether it's a a screwdriver or um, a mobile phone, whatever, all you have to do is say to me, how about this? And I will immediately purchase it. No matter the price, no matter how outlandish the price is, no matter what the fee. Now, obviously, most things, that's not the worst thing. Because, look, you go to a gas station, um, you're not going to be able to negotiate the price of gasoline, unfortunately, right? you got to pay, and it's not going to differ wildly from gas station to gas station. Maybe it'll be a 10 cent difference, but I'm not you're not going to be at one gas station where they're charging $5 and another where they're charging 2.75. That's not going to happen. So there's only so much my poor consumer habits hurt me except in one area. Auto vehicle sales and leasing. Okay? I have heard about people that are able to get good deals on cars. My primary goal in when I shop for a car is to be done with the process as quickly as possible. That's all I'm looking to do. Just be done. 
and be just move on to the rest of my life. That's it. And I just try to nod enough that it looks like I'm paying attention to what the salesman is saying. I have really only two questions when it comes to a car. One, what kind of radio does it have? Does it have an AM radio? Great. Does it have HD radio? Great. Does it have satellite radio? Wonderful. Got all three of those? Uh, Are you concerned with color or anything like that? Nope. Nope. Uh, Now, my other question, because I have no idea where I'm going any of the time, would be, did it have GPS? Now, um, now that's less of an issue because your GPS is tied into your mobile phone, which I don't like. But that's that. So, really, the only questions that I ask are about the radio. Uh, Not concerned about much else. So, now, um, my car lease is up. And, you know... In the months before your car lease is up, they start – by the way, that's not something you should ever do. Every financial expert says uh, in the world, don't lease a car, right? So that goes to show you, of course, I'm going to lease a car. So in the months before your car lease is up, they start calling you, hey, you know, your lease is about to be up. We've got some really great cars that you might want to be interested in. They start texting. And I texted with the guy that leased me my car three years ago because I think it's over within the next couple of months. Now, I know I'm going to get ripped off. I'm aware of this. So then the decision really for me is where will I choose to get ripped off? How do I choose what kind of car to buy or lease in my case? One factor and only one factor. Is that particular car dealership advertising on my radio program. Now, the car dealership that I leased from three years ago, they were advertising on the radio show that I was hosting. Uh, They are not currently. Two years before that, the last car dealership that I leased a car from, they were advertising on my radio program. They were not three years ago. So... Really, when this guy calls me tomorrow, he's saying, oh, do you have any idea what kind of stuff, what kind of car you're in the mood for? Do you know uh, if you want something uh, that's a hybrid or a non-hybrid, whatever? You know, he's throwing all this stuff at me. I don't care. I couldn't care less what kind of car I'm driving. My one question for him, and he's a nice guy. I don't mean to demonize him unfairly. But my one question for him is going to be, can you get your car dealership to advertise on my radio program today because that is the only factor that will determine where I lease this car from. The only one. So um, hopefully he says yes, and I'll just take whatever car he offers me. But there's a chance he might say no. So if you have a car dealership and you want to advertise on the – and by the way, it's not just me because my mom went to this same car dealership. Friends of mine went to my uh, – I think my uh, mother's longtime companion went there. I think they got three or four cars just based on my, my circle of friends. So if you have a car dealership and you want me to buy a car from you or lease a car from you, I will. All you have to do is advertise. That's it. Only one factor. Advertise. So if uh, you want me to buy a car from you, just email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And as long as you advertise it on the show, I will be happy to lease a vehicle Frank, from you. Frank, isn't that, isn't that plug-ola? No. 
Are you no? How can how is it not? Because Plugola would be if I got a car for free and said, hey, by the way, everyone go uh, to XYZ car dealership. They have the greatest cars in the world, and they're not advertising. If somebody's paying for ads and then I tell them that they should shop there, that's the very business model of commercial radio. Hmm. All right. Do you so, see the difference? I do. Where are you? No. I'm, <laughs> I'm, are you behind? Yeah, I'm hiding okay. from you. Gotcha. I'm hiding blame, from you. I don't you. blame you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so, yeah, do you see the difference? One is unethical and self-serving, and one is the opposite. One is, you know, me rewarding with my limited, you know, budget the people that are supporting our show. I think it's same thing when I choose, uh, you know, any other type of uh, restaurant to go to. You know, when, sometimes I'll have a choice of going to one restaurant or another. I'll always go to the one that advertises on our radio station. Always. All right. Always. No. Okay. Yeah, you got me there. You got me there. It right. sounded a little hinky at first. No, I'll no, give no, you no. that. Not hinky. Uh, not ha- not hanky. Not panky. Nothing. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, Joe Rogan does not want Donald Trump on his uh, podcast. We're going to talk about why in just a moment and um, how a lot of Trump people are feeling about uh, Donald Trump these days. We'll get into that. But first, let me say hello to Michael in New Jersey. Hello, Michael. Yeah, hello. Yeah, Frank, you disappoint me. I mean, I. Well, you should be used to that by now, Michael. Yeah, I gave you a pretty decent rating. Not a fantastic rating, but a decent one. A decent one. Well, that'll learn you. Now, and now when you talk about buying a car, you should say what car is the safest if there's an accident or which car has the best repair record. I mean, the way you're talking now, Frank, you make yourself sound like a moron. I, uh, Michael, if the shoe fits, I wish I could uh, say that it, your, what, your analysis is inaccurate. You're exactly right. Um, because I am kind of a moron. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing in almost any aspect of life. Uh, it's uh, me going through the motions, pretending that I do. Uh, I have uh, made clear I have no specific expertise in anything, really, except for, um, I'd say, uh, like maybe 1980s and 90s pro wrestling. Beyond that, presidential trivia I know a lot about, too. Beyond those areas, I'm kind of uh, at a loss here. 800-848-9222. Matt is in Hicksville. Hello, Matt. Hey, how are you, Frank? I'm great, Matt. Thanks for asking. Okay. So, yeah, I, I think you're – and I appreciate you taking my call, and I, I, I was waiting a while. I've called in several times. I just – and sometimes I just 
give up and I can't get through. But uh, your uh, your guest, uh, Logan Staggies, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I, I invited him back uh, next week, so hopefully, uh, you know, I, I, it's my fault. I should have had him on for a whole hour because there's a lot of areas we didn't get into. And next week, maybe we'll do a whole hour together. No, your program tonight has so much information, and I take notes. And I have uh, probably, I don't know, five, six pages of notes. Um, I have uh, several graduate degrees, and um, I'm involved in the courts. And I'm involved with a lot of uh, cases with um, judges and the Supreme Court, and and you were touch you were starting to touch on some sensitive subjects, and there were some other people that you had on after um, after uh, Logan Stag East uh, that uh, it, 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 you know in order to make a difference. Um, and you know, obviously, your opinion is you, you, you're very smart. You got this is a huge event tonight because all of your topics were just hot. So I, I, I'm writing and I'm taking the notes. All of your topics are hot. So police, they are, you know, bowing out. They're retiring early. They they're going to take a pension cut. You know the one thing you said that okay, so they're going to take a pension cut and they're going to take um, retirement cuts and everything else because they can't get new recruits. So whether it's a fitness exam or whether it's a um, you know, a written test or whatever, maybe they will reduce the requirements. So those those things are very serious. Um, the military is doing the same thing. Right. That's what another caller had mentioned as well. They're doing it's very serious. It's very, very, very serious because I have the solicitation. I have the invites. You know, I, I'm not going to, you know, I, I don't want to put it over the air what my training is, but the, the military has not stopped trying to recruit me because I took an examination 25 years ago. I got 100% on it. And nobody wants to join. What's going on? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what I was trying to highlight in mentioning this article. Matt, thank you for the call and your nice words. Um, I don't know. I don't know that we're any further along in terms of analysis of the conversation here in terms of are other departments doing this? Are we seeing this exodus all over the country? Because so far we know the magic bullet in keeping cops from retiring is to do what Suffolk is doing in New York, Suffolk, Long Island is just pay them $185,000 a year. Now, unfortunately, most cities can't afford to pay that. So that seems to be the choice. Deal with an exodus of cops in their prime who are replaced with fat and out-of-shape police officers that can't run a mile and a half in 14 and a half minutes or pay them $185,000 a year. That seems to be the choice we're faced with. Now, Joe Rogan 
is an interesting guy. He's somebody that uh, I've always said seems like he doesn't care about uh, uh, pleasing the masses. He seems uncancelable because he's got this following that just follows him wherever he goes on social media. He's on Twitter. He goes to Rumble. He's on podcast. He goes to Spotify. And it was a big deal when he sold his his podcast to Spotify because it uh, made a lot of money for him. I think it was one of the most lucrative podcast deals in history. But it also meant that he now had a boss, essentially. And now Joe Rogan, who I think a lot of conservatives empathize with because he is not someone that uh, goes along with the political pressures of the day. Uh, He's somebody that doesn't go along with uh, the PC mantra on vaccinations or race or other things. And uh, I, I don't listen to him, but I do like him and what he does. I like that he's proven, essentially, that there's a market for compelling, long-form, spoken word conversation. I'm so tired of hearing people snicker when I tell them that I work in talk radio. Oh, that's a medium for people that are age, uh, over the age of 75. No. Joe Rogan proves that if you put out content that is compelling enough, People will listen to it no matter what their age. And by the way, I'm proud to have those older listeners. I've said that uh, before. But Joe Rogan was on another podcast, somebody named Lex Friedman or Friedman. And he told Lex on Monday that he has passed on multiple opportunities to have former President Trump on his popular podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. He told Lex that he was not a supporter of the former president and added that he refused to help him expand his platform. Listen to this. But don't you think it's not a cause, but maybe like a symptom? Like it's going to get, you said it got real weird. Maybe it's going to get weirder. Yeah, I think it's going to get weirder. <laughs> he's going to run again. You think he wins? Get weird. Well, he's running against a dead man. You know, I mean, Biden shakes hands with people that aren't even there when he gets off stage. Yeah. I think he's seeing ghosts. Yeah. You see him on Jimmy Kimmel the other day? No. Well, he was just rambling. I mean, he's if he was anyone else, if he was a Republican, if that was Donald Trump doing that, every f-ing talk show would be screaming for him to be off the air. And I'm, by the way, I'm not a Trump supporter in any way, shape or form. I've had the opportunity to have him on my show more than once. I've said no every time. I don't want to help him. I'm not interested in helping the, the, him. The, the, the night is still young. We'll see. If I have him on, the night is still young? You think I'll have him on? I think you'll have him on. Really? Why do you think that? Because you'll have Putin on? (laughs) (laughs) And you're competitive as (laughs) No. (laughs) By the way, uh, both Vladimir Putin and President Trump are welcome on this show anytime. But Rogan told Lex that any other guest conversation would not hurt the country like having Trump on. Listen to this. I, I think ultimately... I mean, you had you've had a lot of people that I think you might you may otherwise be skeptical. Would I have a good conversation? Which I think is your metric. You don't care about politics, so can I have a good conversation? And I think you you had uh, like people people like Kanye on, for example, and yeah. you had a great conversation with him. I think you, I, I think uh, yeah, but Kanye is an artist. Like, but Kanye doing well or not doing well doesn't change the course of our country. And. Here he says that Trump is just too polarizing and a detriment to democracy. The Trump era is also going to be one of the weirder times when when people look back historically about the division in this country. 
he's such a polarizing figure that so many people felt like they could abandon their own ethics and morals and principles just to attack him and anybody who supports him because he is uh, an existential threat to democracy itself. I, and, you know, it is, it's interesting. He's right. I don't think he's right not to have Trump on. I, I like uh, featuring polarizing people happily. And I would happily have on Trump or and I know he's had him Bernie Sanders. I would have on Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, Joe Biden, anybody of national import. So but he is right that Trump is a polarizing figure. And it reminded me of a conversation that we had on um, July 4th when on the uh, Bernie and Sid show on WABC, John Katsimatidis was filling in and I was there with John. And uh, so uh, and like John Katsimatidis is friends with President Trump and they go back decades. And uh, Chad Lopez, who's a high powered radio executive in New York, we were talking about whether or not Trump should announce and would announce this year before the midterm elections. By the way, the inside word from the Trump campaign I heard over the weekend is that he's going to announce the next 30 days. Uh, what do you think of that? You think he should wait until the midterms are over? Because I would think, uh, and I voted for President Trump twice, but I would think by announcing now the midterms almost become all about Trump. Rather than the bread and butter issues like inflation, energy prices, the border, obviously this crime crisis that people are really concerned about. Does Trump risk being a distraction by announcing now rather than waiting until after the midterms? I think he should wait till after the midterms. I think the concentration has to be on the Congress and on the Senate and then, you know, and and see where we go from there. What do you think, Chad? You have to wait because the distraction, I think it's it's time to. Let it, let everyone focus on what's going mm-hmm. on now in the present. So that was interesting. The three of us were all on the same page, essentially for the same reasons. We all said that uh, essentially President Trump is a little too polarizing and that he would be a distraction if he announces his candidacy now. And that would make all the congressional elections this year, all the gubernatorial elections, everything else, all about Donald Trump rather than inflation, crime, the crisis at the border, so on and so forth. So um, I'm curious what you think. One, about Joe Rogan's comments, and two, about ours. Do you think it makes sense for uh, President Trump, even if you're a Trump supporter, by the way, which, again, as I said, I voted for him twice. Um, if, even if you're a Trump supporter, do you think it makes sense for him to wait until after the midterm elections and see what happens? 800-848-9222. Andrea is in Suffolk County. Hello, Andrea. Oh, good morning. How are you doing? I have a few comments about how to buy a car. I had never purchased a car in my entire life, but I was down in Houston with my husband, and Houston was flooding with their proverbial storms that they have down there. And he did, my husband didn't want to go to the airport. He said, you do something, and I did. I called the car dealer down there, but before I went there, I did some research. Now, comment. Frank, you are a brilliant man. Do not allow yourself to be manipulated by car salesmen. Um, now, the first thing that you need to do, since you'd like to research, do your research. Look up tricks of the trade, R.E., car salesmen. Everything will be listed, all the little ploys that they like to play. Number one, Monday is the best day to either buy or lease a vehicle because it's super slow. All right, you're going to look up the tricks of the trade. First of all, most of them are pretty slimy. They will ask you, 
what's your favorite color? If you say white, they will say white. Uh, I told them it's not about color, it's about price. So that immediately sets them off. They will then drop their keys on the ground. Do not pick them up. If you do, they will realize that they have a stupid sucker on their hands, a real sheeple, and you will pay anything. Uh, I refuse to pay for, I told them, I'm not paying for any of those little add-ons, the junk on the sticker. And um, so they're junk, and I'm not paying. Uh, I then told them that I wanted to buy a car after we went around in circles. You know, I would say something, the salesman would go inside the office. Uh, he would agree to it. He'd go inside the office. He'd come out, and, and no, he couldn't do that. Ridiculous. Um, finally, I told him, yes, I do want to buy a vehicle, but we have some sticking points. And I hammered away on each and every one. Anyway, you can do this. And you know what? Don't go alone. Take someone who's experienced with you. I don't like to see people taken advantage of. Andrea, thank and you. I, uh, I appreciate all that. And, and uh, sincerely, my problem with everything you described, and by the way, I remembered as you were talking, the only other factor that I ever ask about, because I drive in an area where there are a lot of potholes and, you know, my I, you know, whatever, I don't uh, dodge them as I should. I always get flat tires. So whatever it costs, I always get the free, not free, but the tire replacement package. Even if it means paying another whatever amount, I will always pay for that so that I get that. But my problem with everything you suggested, Andrea, the research, the giving my demands, the rejecting the add-ons, the bringing someone with you, all of that takes time. Now, the reason that I will buy anything that anybody offers me is not because I'm eager to part with my money. I can go to the casino and do that. It's because I don't want to invest the time. The time in my life, time, is by far the most important quality that I have. It is the only irreplaceable commodity. And I don't want to spend one second more than necessary on this car lease process. That's why if you say, here you go, do you want this? My answer will always be, Yes. I'm not saying that's a good philosophy. It shouldn't be. Nobody should do that. But my time is way too valuable. I'd rather pay thousands of dollars more than spend an extra 20, 30 minutes any day of the week, any day of the week. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll take your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is uh, Uptown Funk, very popular song. Uh, and I think it's a good song. I think it makes sense. It's fun. People like it. I never understood the reference to Michelle Pfeiffer in the song. Why, why do they, out of all the actresses, I mean, she's a good actress and a beautiful woman. But of all the actresses that you could think to mention, why pick Michelle Pfeiffer? Why not, uh, I don't know, why not that Jennifer Garner? Or, or, you know, if you want to go back a few years, that Doris Day. Like, of all the actresses to throw in a song lyric, why Michelle Pfeiffer? Maybe, uh, maybe Mark Ronson is a, a Catwoman fan. Hey, uh, you know what you're going to get to hear in about a half hour? Uh, my discussion with Don McLean, the man that brought us American Pie 50 years ago. There's a new documentary that's coming to Paramount Plus on July 19th, all about that song and all about him and all about the last 50 years. So, uh, meaning the 50 years that that song has been out. So I'm very much looking forward to that uh, conversation. If you haven't done so already, I do hope you will listen to my most recent installment of The Racket Report. That's a podcast that I do totally separate from this radio show focused on issues related to organized crime. So if you want to listen to that, just search on any podcast app, iTunes or Google Podcasts or Spotify, whatever, The Racket Report. Uh, The most recent reviews that I've gotten on this, including from uh, a listener named Anna today, she says this is the best podcast that we've done on that subject so if you haven't heard it yet it's one you're going to want to listen to uh just search the racket report all right um if you want to email me on uh, anything that we didn't get to you're welcome to email me frank.morano at wabcradio.com those of you that are holding uh we'll get to you uh after the top of the hour you will not believe what texas is doing let me correct myself You will absolutely believe what Texas is doing, and that's sad because it's ridiculous, if you'll pardon my saying so. Until next hour, just remember, in the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for tuning in. I've actually calmed down a little bit uh, during the last couple of minutes at the top of the hour because there is an update to this story, and apparently at least somebody in the state of Texas has a brain. So a couple of days ago, there was a story about how a work group developing a second-grade social studies curriculum in the for the Texas State Board of Education suggested the term involuntary relocation to describe people who were sold into slavery. The board's chair said that amidst national debates on the role of critical race theory in classrooms. So the proposed phrase, I want you to keep in mind, involuntary relocation instead of slavery or the slave trade. The proposed phrase was part of the initial draft outlining the second grade standards from a review committee that included a section titled enslaved peoples in America. 
This is what the statement said. The board, with unanimous consent, directed the work group to revisit that specific language. That's from Kevin Ellis, who's the chair of the Texas State Board of Education. In the meantime, the board will continue working on the curriculum later in the summer. Um, According to Aisha Davis, a member of the State Board of Education who represents parts of uh, Dallas in the, you know, Dallas County. She said, I have a hard time seeing how it's acceptable to substitute the phrase slave trade for the phrase involuntary relocation. I completely agree with her. She's exactly right. Slavery was terrible. Slavery is slavery. It shouldn't be watered down and changed to involuntary relocation. So we were given a 24-page document with recommendations from a work group that looked at kindergarten through second grade. And within the second grade standards, that's where I found that they were proposing we talk about their journey using the phrase involuntary relocation. So this suggested language came about as the concept of teaching critical race theory in U.S. classrooms has become a contentious debate that involves parents, school board, and more. So according to Davis, there was some discussion from the Texas Education Agency about why they chose that language. They wanted to make sure to introduce slavery at a younger grade level, but they wanted to make sure they were being intentionally careful with age appropriateness. Now, this is crazy. I cannot believe that this was seriously proposed by the group that's responsible for putting this curriculum together. Apparently, Texas is one of these states that passed an anti-critical race theory bill. And that sounds good, right? Until you look at what the bill says. So... The This bill, Senate Bill 3, apparently impacted the educators' discussion over the curriculum. Um, the bill specifically says that you cannot make a student feel uncomfortable. And so they were given a copy of this law as they were doing the review. And a lot of the products that we received, according to Davis, it looks like it's a reflection from some of the things that were in that law. See, this is the thing. Every time you put more restrictions on how teachers can teach and what books kids can read in school and all sorts of things like that, there's all sorts of consequences, unintended and intended, that leads to kids being taught in a manner that's just ridiculous. Slavery, horrible. Slavery, slavery. It should be called slavery, not not forced relocation. So... The State Board of Education took to Twitter a day or two ago and said this is not the case, that they are not going to go along with this proposal by this group of nine educators, including a professor at the University of Texas. Um, And so according to the Texas Tribune, um, this has been struck down in a unanimous decision by the State Board of Education. So thankfully, cooler heads prevailed. But you have to wonder, in other states where these anti-critical race theory bills have passed, where they're not allowed to offend anybody, you have to wonder, what's the next state that's going to cause call slavery something else? Uh, this is something that we should be paying attention to. 
I think uh, a lot of teachers need more free speech, not less. Um, so I got a I got a message here on Twitter, and you can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. I have open DMs. Uh, a, a user by the name of Photographs by Varga says it's Michelle Pfeiffer in Uptown Funk because of her role in Scarface, White Gold, Trophy Girlfriend for, for Pacino's Latino character. Super popular film in the black and Latino communities. But that still doesn't explain why she's in the song. What does that mean? I mean, Uptown Funk, Michelle Pfeiffer, that white gold. Also, can we talk about the film Scarface? I like the film Scarface. But that has got to be one of the most overrated films in history. Um. Doesn't anybody see how absurd it is that Al Pacino is playing a Cuban uh, and Robert Loggia is playing a Cuban and F. Murray Abraham is playing a Cuban? I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous film. I mean, again, I'm not saying people can't play outside their ethnicity. Marlon Brando, James Caan, not Italians. They do a great job in The Godfather playing Italian. But the Scarface is good. Good film. But. I mean, that's the kind of film where you could kind of tell the director was on drugs the whole time. There are a few films like that. You know, you ever see the film New York, New York? Now, New York, New York is, that's where the song comes from, New York, New York, originally performed by Liza Minnelli. It's a great film, but you could tell whoever was involved in the production of that film is on drugs. Now, and that's not my saying so. Marty Scorsese, the director of that film, he was, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, in a relationship with Liza Minnelli at the time of that film. And then uh, Martin Scorsese, while they were filming that, went to visit his drug dealer. And he essentially, if I'm remembering the story correctly, shouted to his drug dealer from the street, just just, just give me all the drugs you have. Whatever drugs you have, just, just, just give me all the drugs you have. And that movie is a movie that kind of reflects that. And so, as is the case with Brian De Palma in, in Scarface. So... That's my opinion. I think I honestly think the most ridiculous thing about Scarface is when he, uh, you know, after snorting up a mountain of cocaine, is able to survive getting shot through the chest, what, 20 times? Yeah, there's a lot of ridiculous things like that in the film. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, It's good. It has its moments. There's some great actors in it. But it's just it's one of those films that, oh, Scarface. Okay, let's calm down. It's a little overrated. And it is. I'm sorry. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anything we have covered thus far. Texas keeping slavery, the terminology, not the practice. Um, Why is Michelle Pfeiffer in Uptown Funk? Police no longer have to be physically fit. Joe Rogan says thanks but no thanks to Donald Trump. And um, New Jersey is protecting its citizens from red light cameras elsewhere. The Supreme Court is protecting nobody. 800-848-9222. Leo is on the Upper West Side. He's been waiting patiently. Hello, Leo. Frank, please do me a favor this time. Make exception. Let me say more than one sentence. I'm driving 15 years, almost 20 professionally in New York. I owe $4,000 for camera tickets. And I really know what is this about. The, the proposal is different than you think. The proposal is if you get camera ticket in any other state, they have just your license plate. They don't know your address, your name, nothing. 
and they requested from New Jersey so they can mail you actually the ticket and they they can see your name and your address give collecting agencies. That's what New Jersey is proposing not to do to any state. But jurisdiction of the other states is different story. The Jersey has no say to New York. So when, for example, if you're going to collect tickets in New York with your father's car, once it reached $1,000, your registration gets suspended. If you get pulled over, they cannot kick you out and tow the car. But if your father, who's, who is, whose name is on the registration, get pulled over in New York City, even if it would be his first visit to New York City, they're going to kick him out of car and impound the car. All right. Well, that, is, that does go with what, uh, what that other caller said. So if I understand it, Leo, but, so I don't have to worry about it until the fines rack up to $1,000, I guess. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Well, so and, uh, there is another thing. Uh, uh, different uh, rules are in different states. For example, I was with my brother coming from vacation from Florida. We have little accident which caused some truck to trailer hit our trailer. I was having bikes in the trailer, but because I did not want to deal with that, before cops came, we switched with my brother because he's from Europe, and he says he was driving. So half year later, I on my address came actually ticket some twenty dollars for some nonsense and i didn't respond nothing another half year later for this twenty dollars ticket plus some late fee came that my brother have actually uh what do you call it for arrest uh, when they're looking for it if he would get actually stopped in uh, in uh, north carolina he get arrested wow well, I mean, warrant. I'm not sure that one ticket warrant for arrest. Leo, 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 I'm not sure that you should be confessing to any other crimes or frauds that you and your brother are That's committing okay. in not, concert. I'm not worrying. I'm, I'm living right. out of the house of my life. Well, thank you, Leo. Uh, let me just say word to the why. I don't think anybody should be uh, com- committing that kind of automotive fraud. And that's precisely what Leo was doing there. I realize people do that. I would not suggest it. And if you're going to do that, uh, I would certainly not suggest that you brag about it on the radio. That's number one. So that's Leo's two cents on the uh, proposed New Jersey um, legislation, which appears poised to pass. Uh, It's supported by the head of the state Senate and uh, a lot of the prominent Republicans in the uh, state Senate as well. Hey, uh, John McClain, who brought us American Pie, he's going to join us a little later this hour. We're going to continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. is never going to give you up. I know most of you are used to only hearing this song when uh, 
you click on a YouTube video that you think is actually something else. But uh, you have been radio rickrolled, as it were. Uh, I'm going to take your calls in just a minute, and then uh, you're going to hear my discussion with Don McLean, the man that brought us American Pie a half century ago. I'm very much uh, looking forward to that conversation. I will tell you... um, the prize for best Facebook message today goes to Maurice Toussaint. I don't know who Maurice Toussaint is, but um, this is, I don't even know if that's his real name. Brilliant, brilliant person that we have listening to the show. Maurice writes, the Texas school board wants to change the word slavery to involuntary relocation and the JFK assassination to FBI timeout. I thought that was very funny. Well done, Maurice. Well done. 800-848-9222. Pamela is in central New Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hi. um, Yeah, in reference to uh, Trump, um, you know, I kind of like come to the conclusion, no matter what he does, his honesty and bluntness is going to scare people. Uh, It's a very frightening thing. Like, I can be very honest and blunt, you know, within the realm of, certain controls, you know, not to hurt anybody or, or whatever. Um, but a neighbor who's afraid of my bluntness, uh, who's the first one she came running to when she was scared out of her mind over the pandemic? Me. She wanted my opinion on the whole thing to, to calm her down. So I feel if Trump makes a move right now, you know what, let the chips fall where they may, because people are scared and uh, frightened about inflation, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, I think people need something, need something, some hope. All right. And, you know, people who are up to no good are always going to fear honesty and bluntness. It's very scary for them because they're not used to it. Thank you, Pamela. Jacqueline is in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Hey, Frank. Good morning. Morning. Um, I, I understand the previous caller's per point of view and perspective, but I feel a little differently. Um, I think it's important that the voters really focus on the midterm elections. So I think the president should announce after the uh, the midterms. And um, I think, you know, people that support him will still stand behind him. But I don't think he should distract from the midterms. Well, because you know what would happen if, if President Trump did announce next week, let's say, and then he comes out with a policy proposal that is um, a little unorthodox, to say the least. Then in every purple district, that it, and there's only maybe 50, 60 purple districts that are genuinely competitive in the whole House of Representatives. And then maybe another dozen Senate races that are competitive. And, but that could decide the fate of both houses. All the candidates running in both of those, in all those races, they're going to be asked about whatever Trump is proposing, whatever Trump is doing, everything Trump did in his previous four years as president. And I think it really does deprive the voters of the contest that they deserve, which is to hear all the congressional candidates offer their prescriptions for how they'd get the country through the present crisis. So I'm with you on this one, Jacqueline. Not not only that, um, it's very important that going into the 24 election that the Congress and hopefully also the Senate be um, recouped by the Republican Party. And that will just set things up for even more strength for President Trump in 24. Well, uh, thank you, Jacqueline. I am not going to go, you know, that 
far. I, I think if you look at um, when the country's done well, a lot of times we've had divided government, a Republican Congress and a Democratic president or vice versa. And we've seen that, again, even with President Trump, uh, for all the stalemates and all the log jams in the first two years of his administration, um, for the last two years with a Democratic Congress, he was able to get a lot done. Uh, not as much as I think he had hoped and I had hoped. But, you know, I think um, I think that uh, bipartisan government can work and work well if all the people involved are committing to governing and not necessarily to uh, eradicating their opponent. But that's a discussion for another day. Um, I'll tell you what I would do if I were running for president. You know what would be number one item on my platform? I would run on a platform of genocide well maybe not genocide but species side okay maybe not species side i would run on a platform of insecticide i would run on a platform of killing every mosquito in america the mosquito is the most deadly animal on the face of the earth And aside from transmitting malaria and this disease and that disease, they're annoying. There's nothing worse than uh, when it's the summer, having to be outside and swat at these mosquitoes all over the place. It's horrible. Horrible. So um, I said to my friend Frank Fontaino the other day, because he's got one of these yards that's a bug magnet. He, He says to me, I get this stuff that's supposed to keep the bugs away for two months And it works for maybe two days. Um, I said to him, what happened to those bug zappers? Because I feel like you don't see them anywhere anymore. Do you remember 20 years ago, 30 years ago, these bug zappers, which would attract these bugs to their doom and kill them, they were everywhere. They were in every yard. That was the go-to backyard summer staple, the electric bug zapper. The the bugs flying around. And then every time you'd hear the, you'd get a little bit of satisfaction knowing that we got one. One for our team. One for the good guys. I don't see them anywhere anymore. It's kind of gone the way of the clapper. You don't see these items anymore that used to be so popular, so big. Every household in America, at least every household I visited years ago, had a Chia Pet, the Clapper, and a Bug Zapper. Now, I go from home to home, no Chia Pets, no Clappers, no Bug Zappers, and I'm not sure the world is a better place for it. So I would, you know how, um, I think it was, uh, I think it was uh, either Hoover or FDR that ran in 1932 on a platform of a chicken in every pot. I think Biden and Trump in 2020 both ran on a platform of a vaccine in every arm. My platform, if I ran for president, a a bug zapper in every backyard. How could you lose with that kind of a platform? We'll talk about American Pie with Don McClain straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. A long, long time ago. I can still remember how that music used to make me smile And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while But February made me shiver 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, our guest probably hears this song in his sleep. I am guessing there's not a day that has gone by over the last half century where someone hasn't brought up a discussion of this song in some form or another. You know, there's a lot of things that change about the music business. Uh, the sensibilities and the tastes of the public change. Uh, the different styles of music that musicians uh, perform for the public change. Uh, one thing that has not changed over the last half century is that if you're a musician, even a professional musician, it's very difficult to have one hit song. It's very difficult to get a song that people actually know and immediately respond to. It's difficult to get a song that's played on the radio just once. What is almost impossible is to create a classic song that endures for decades, that has two and a half generations all memorizing the lyrics to it. Well, Don McLean has done uh, just that. You know him as a legendary singer, songwriter, and guitarist. And it seems like interest in that song, American Pie, is even though the song has been out for 50 years, it's now at an apex, and more people are talking about that song now than ever. Gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome uh, legendary singer, songwriter, guitarist, musician, Don McLean, somebody I happen to be a huge fan of. Don, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. It's a real treat. Oh, what a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here to talk to you. Uh, Donna, obviously you're incredibly proud, I have to think, of the remarkable success uh, that that song, American Pie, has has had. And uh, it's one of the top five songs in just about every Hall of Fame, everybody's chart. But is there any part of having a song that that's that popular and having people ask you about it for a half century that ever gets irritating or annoying? Do you ever say, oh, I wish people would ask me about something else? Well, I suppose it's like being in the Beatles or something. You know, Paul McCartney, all he does is answer questions about, you know, John Lennon. You know, that's just the nature of of overwhelming success. But everybody knows that he has so many other things that he's done. People know me. Mm-hmm. They know what I've done. They know And I Love You So, Castles in the Air, Vincent. They know my songs. But they just can't help themselves. <laughs> you know, they, they get me around, and they want to. They want to talk about that song, and I'm fine with it. You know, I realize that uh, that's how it is. I remember when I was I first met Johnny Cash. I asked him why he wore black, <laughs> and he said <laughs> I should write a song about all the things people ask me. You know, like that. I mean, of course, he tried to tell me that, but he's been asked that a million times. You know, but uh, uh, you know, we don't realize that. Uh, and I, I I understand that. Well, so yes, count me among those that uh, that is in the conventional wisdom category and wants to ask you about this song. Um, obviously, yeah. the the lyrics tell a great story, also kind of a sad story. Anytime you have a song that play that has uh, the death of a music legend like Buddy Holly playing such a prominent part in the lyrics, it, you know the tone that the song is going to take. In, I mean, you're, in your view, you're the guy that would know. What is the song about overall? 
Well, I just want to say one thing before I answer that question. You know, um, music today is very much like movies are today. Um, a lot of 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 loud blasting and blowing things up and guns and you know all that stuff are in movies primarily and the music is all very loud and bombastic and there's not a lot of of of, of music anymore that has any kind of um character development where you talk about a story or a a person or whatever um this is this is in a sense what's good about uh, Taylor Swift and her her songs that they're personal songs but they're um they're not and yet she's able to do other songs that you know are or dance tunes and and put on this incredible show that she can do but i think that you know that's that's the way things have changed it's it's just a lot of sensory assault is going on now rather mm. than than be- beautiful music and ideas and the use of language this is this is what the beatles did it's what dylan did it's what i do um and uh, certainly it's what songwriters did in the past Irving berlin and george gershwin and people like that beautiful music and beautiful lyrics and and ideas uh, that's that's all been paved over, you know, with a lot of noise and bombast, and the same thing goes true for the movies. So it's just a whole different world. But it, it, mm. it luckily for me, you know, I was able to get my licks in years ago, and and it stayed. So there's a kind of a glass ceiling up there, and above that ceiling. Uh, songs and records and artists who are in that category stay are, are eternal, and the ones down below are trying desperately to survive. You know, and it's a very very rough business to even make a living. Mm. And I was, you know, I I, I want to say one more thing, and that it's it's very hard to write even a bad song. You know, if you were to find a person on the street and say, "Write me a song about your 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 son or your daughter." They couldn't do it. Right. right. So even if a person can write a bad song, if they keep working at it, they might write a good one, you know. We're talking with Don McLean, the uh, legendary singer, songwriter, and guitarist responsible for American Pie. Uh, we'll tell you about some of the things that are happening with American Pie uh, these days, which are substantial. That song, when it when it came out, was over eight and a half minutes long. I, I have to think every music consultant, every radio DJ, every program director was saying, you can't put a song out on the radio that's this long. Did you have a lot of pressure to cut the length of that song and not put out a song that was that length no i didn't have any nobody nobody put pressure on me when i signed a contract i i had the right to do anything i wanted to do um lots of acts were making long songs and short songs and it was a very free creative time you know we had all these great rock and roll groups the you know the Led Zeppelin and the Who and the Beatles and we had Dylan and we had all sorts of other writers and so nobody was telling anybody what to do anymore. That was a studio system. That's the thing we mm. we sloughed off. We didn't want any part of that. So we did what we wanted to do, and it was a very creative time. 
And some people like uh, Carol King wrote hits. You know, she wrote hits. And other people like myself wrote their own inventions. There's no song like Vincent. Never happened right. since. Right. There's no song like Crossroads or Sister Fatima or The Grave. Never happened. Because I don't write hits. I write. And so when the thing came out, uh, the record company, they didn't ask me. They just cut it down to three minutes and put it on the radio. <laughs> and it became number one. And then, then people called up and said, well, that's not the song. The song's eight and a half minutes. So they started playing the eight and a half minute version when they would play the top 10. I don't know how that happened exactly. Because that must have been a shock to go from three minutes to eight and a half on the radio. But they did it. And then it, that became the number one. And that's the one that Taylor Swift uh, superseded with her latest the hit record. You, the new there's an, a version of American Pie that came out last year, an acapella version which is just so right. beautiful that features yeah. you and Home Free. Um, first of all, yeah. it's amazing that your voice has, sounds the same now as it did in the early 1970s. But second, tell tell folks about this particular version of American Pie, wh- how this collaboration with Home Free came to be. Again, uh, this came out of Nashville, um, and they were they were doing some things with other artists. They like to do you know songs that everybody knows, and it was suggested that they do American Pie. And they're they've all, they're also going to try a shot at Vincent now. I, I recorded something for them when I was in Nashville. Great. We'll see if they can do that. But um, they did the whole thing, the eight and a half minutes. You know, usually they don't they don't. Do that, and it worked out beautifully. And then they came to California and um, put me in their video, and uh, the, the the video ended up being the number one video for eight weeks on Taste of Country. So that just landed in our laps, and they did a great job. They're great guys, and they are. They've been going for a long, long time out of Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, for many, many years. And I guess not the same personnel all the time, but uh, they have a really good producer, too, who does good work. So we had a lot of fun with that. You know, the world now, you mentioned the changes in the movie business in addition to music. One of the changes in how people consume media is that it seems like anything worth watching is on some sort of a streaming uh, platform. And you have to have six or seven of them because they all have one thing that you want to watch. So before you know it, you've got you've got five things. You've got Netflix. You've got Hulu. uh, You've got Amazon Prime. You've got this. You've got that. And uh, one network that has just exploded in in terms of uh, quality content options these last couple of years, including the new Star Trek shows and the offer, which is about the making of the Godfather, which has uh, gotten a lot of great reviews is Paramount plus. Well, beginning on July 19th, there is uh, the day the music died, the story of Don McLean's American pie available exclusively on Paramount plus. What's this all about? What are folks going to learn in seeing this documentary? Well, they're going to be like a birdie perched on my shoulder uh, from the time I I was born, really, through my formative years, discovering the plane crash, uh, having that with me for many years before I finally um, wrote this song about America, which I'd been 
thinking about for years. It really took over 10 years to write American Pie, if you really want to get serious about it, because it was, I think about things a lot, and and I don't do things until I, I'm, I'm ready. And I did many other things, you know, before I got around to that, but. Yeah, it's all in the in the movie, and uh, really, I'm an observer of everything. I'm not a part of it. You know, I wasn't at Woodstock, and uh, I was never on the cover of Rolling Stone. In fact, Rolling Stone tried to ruin me uh, after that song became famous. They act, ab- absolutely went after me and tried to destroy my career. They failed, and... Um, Everything what was the reason for that? Why did Rolling Stone uh, have an agenda to go after you? They didn't like they whatever reasons you know they don't like they like people and they don't like other people and um, they felt that I was uh, I don't know what they felt but they wrote a terrible review of the first three albums I made in an effort to shut me down and. Um, it did set me back for a while, but I kept on and kept going as I always have. And uh, many more things happen. And as far as I know, Jan Winter doesn't own Rolling Stone anymore. And uh, they're kind of out of the rock and roll hall of fame. So I guess I outlived the sons of bitches. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I, I don't know why, but I do know this, that I, nobody has written songs the way I wrote them ever since. You know, if you look at my catalog of songs, whether it's Vincent or Castles in the Air or And I Love You So, nobody writes songs like that. And I'm I am bragging, yes, because I I I I have had to pay for that. You know, I have it has not been easy. You know, uh, I don't write one kind of song. I write many different kinds of songs, and I've had to pay for that. And um, But it's been worth it, you know, because I did what I wanted to do. I did rather than something that was just a commercial, commercially expedient. Mm-hmm. And that would have been, I think, terrible. I, I wouldn't have wanted to, to look at myself. I'm 76 years old, look back and say, oh, Look at all that crap I had to sing. I mean, look what Elvis Presley had to sing, you know, to be in those stupid movies. He, and it killed him. <laughs> you know, I mean, he couldn't – at least they should have given him the opportunity to choose 10 songs for the dumbass movie that he was making. And at least he would have sung them and it would, it would have made good albums, you know. Take one song by some writer. But, you know, no, they made him sing this garbage, and he did it. You know, and he, he regretted doing it. I don't have that regret. Uh, well, and I'll tell you, even uh, Elvis may have regretted it, but uh, even the garbage that he sang in a lot of those pictures, I, I think still a lot of it is pretty catchy, even if it was done with uh, with a gun to his head. Uh, you mentioned that was Johnny. That Elvis' genius. That was his mm. genius. He could make anything. I used to work with the Jordan Ayers. You're going to have to bleep this, but, uh, you know, Gordon Stoker would say he'd hold a piece of music and he'd say, what the hell are we going to do with this piece of Mm. You know, <laughs> and then they do something with it and they get rock a baby and, you know, it would be a hit. I mean, 
Believe me, I could talk with you all day. I know you're on a tight uh, schedule as well, but I do have to ask you, you mentioned uh, Johnny Cash and the question that everybody would ask him, and you were part of the everybody in asking why he wore black. Uh, One thing that I did not realize is that um, you sang um, Lovesick Blues in Johnny Cash's house, and then he wrote the song I Wish I Could Yodel after hearing you sing that? Yeah, I was a yodeling fool when I was young, man. I used to love to yodel. And uh, so I sang, I'm feeling called the blues since my baby said goodbye. You know, sang the hell out of that. And um, Cash wrote a song, I Wish I Could Yodel. And it was funny because he was just a deep voice guy. But he was he was a gentle, sweet man, and he was very funny. Um, but he was troubled. You know, you could see he was he was working hard all the time. Those guys were... You know, I mean, you look at Elvis or or Johnny Cash or even Buddy Holly, you go around where they live and you see nothing but cotton fields, man. You know, so these guys are going to drive a truck or be in a cotton field. And when they get a chance to make, you know, five or ten thousand dollars a night, they don't want to miss a lick, you know. And so they start doing the pills and everything else. And they don't know how to tour uh, in, in a smart way because they just can't say no to all that money. You know, uh, after 50 million albums sold after uh, 50 years of uh, of incredible musical success, the likes of which most musicians can only dream of, uh, you are doing something that I just love, and you're honoring veterans on your current 50th anniversary tour. And if somebody wants to uh, make a contribution to allow a veteran and his or her guest to attend one of your upcoming shows, they can go to your website, donmcclain.com. But uh, before I let you go, uh, I did see something that I thought was just so creative and so interesting, which was a fable involving a newspaper boy, uh, Don McLean's American Pie, The Fable. What is this? I, I absolutely love this because yeah, I'm so, a, sort of a... It's a children's book, and it takes a, a cue from my life. I was... Uh a paper boy. Uh, and I, I, that's how I discovered about the death of Buddy Holly. And, uh, and so, uh, Judy Proffer uh, wrote the book and with my interviews, Don McLean, thank you very much. I appreciate you being so generous with your time. I enjoy talking to you very much. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Be sure to check out this particular documentary on Paramount Plus beginning July 19th. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. Uh, it's funny. You can reach me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. We were talking about um, American Pie and uh, Don McClain. Uh, somebody just tweeted at me, all of the good music has already been made. Now, I don't know if that's accurate. I ho- certainly hope it's not. But um, what is interesting is this situation involving R. Kelly. Now, R. Kelly was a, a big hip-hop star. I don't know if he was hip-hop, whatever kind of music he did. He did that song, I Believe I Could Fly. That's probably his most famous song. And I, I had someone over this weekend. I don't remember who it was. Um, might have been my sister. I don't remember. But she was saying how uh, – no, it wasn't her. I don't know who it was. But anyway, somebody was saying how – Disappointed they were that Ray Kelly, that uh, oh, not Ray Kelly, God forbid, Ray Kelly was greatest police commissioner we've ever had. Uh, that R. Kelly wa- was responsible for all these great songs that this person liked, and turned out to be such a, a monster and a sexual predator. Now, now R. Kelly is on suicide watch in prison. But the reason I'm mentioning this is because of a column that Cindy Adams wrote uh, in the New York Post on uh, Thursday, okay? Uh, Thursday, a lot of you might have missed this because it was, no, Tuesday. So it was just in uh, July 5th. So it was the day after a lot of people were off still. And she referenced David Goodside, who owns the Beach Cafe. Beach Cafe is a big restaurant in Manhattan. I've been there. It's great. And it's sort of like a refuge for Republicans in Manhattan. So if you ever want to run into other Republicans there, that's a good place to do it. So listen to what he did. All R. Kelly music has been yanked from the Beach Cafe's jukebox. Because he's persona non grata, he is no longer welcome at that restaurant, meaning his music isn't. I'm curious how you feel about that. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Because my view has always been, generally, in fact, once I drunkenly argued with my wife about this, but I think I would have drunkenly argued with her about anything at the time. But the my view has always been that You've got to separate the art from the artist. If an artist, whether we're talking about O.J. Simpson, Bill Cosby, R. Kelly, whoever the case may be, uh, Gary Glitter, uh, Michael, you know, Michael Jackson, if an artist has done something terrible, then you've got to separate their artwork from them. That's my view. What do you think? You agree with that decision that restaurants, bars, discotheques should be banning R. Kelly or other similar musicians? I'll take your calls on that and anything else. 800-848-9222. And always remember, today and every day, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Well, I've been looking for Jesus for a long time. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. Uh, so the other day, every Friday on this program in the first hour, we do uh, a segment called uh, Ask Frank Anything. And I think it was Friday. It might have been a little later. The, where someone asked about free air. Because I talked about how I hate it when I go to a gas station and they make you pay for the air. There's just something about air that should be free. So I try to patronize establishments that offer the air for free. But sometimes if your tire's a little deflated, uh, you need the, you got to get the air where you can, right? Breathing Men who can't breathe are in no position to negotiate, am I right? So uh, I talked about it, and that was that. I pretty much forgot about it. Uh, one of our great listeners, I believe it was Isaac, sent me a fascinating article from the Business Insider which I thought might make a fun thing for us to explore. And really, the headline of this is pretty self-explanatory. Ten things that used to be free but now cost money. Now, number one on my list has got to be air. And sure enough, that was, and this is probably what prompted him to send it to me, That was on his list as well. I'm going to give you some of the other ones on this list. But what else can you think of that used to be free, but that now costs money? 800-848-9222. This was a pretty good list. And I thought of some other things that they included. But I'd I'd like to hear what you have observed as stuff that used to be free, but now costs money. 800-848-9222. By the way, I still am eager to know if you agree with uh, what Dave from the Beach Cafe is doing and prohibiting the music of R. Kelly. And if it's, if you don't care about R. Kelly's music, then insert whatever controversial singer you want in the, in there. I mean, if you want to include, uh, or it doesn't even have to be a singer. It could be an author. It could be an actor. It could be a comedian. Somebody who has done something outside of their artistry that you think is terrible. Maybe it's something that they were convicted of criminally. Maybe it's something that they were credibly accused of that you think they did. Woody Allen, for instance, never been convicted of a crime, but a lot of people believe he's a child molester. So my friend uh, JFK won't watch his films anymore. And he was a big Woody Allen fan. So is there any? Uh, so I'm curious how you think people should deal with that. My view, I, and I've thought a lot about this, I've prayed about it even, I think you should watch and listen to everything. I think you should judge artistry for its own sake and not be based on the private life of the artist that performed it. I'm not sitting here saying that we should be putting up statues to R. Kelly anywhere or renaming parks uh, for uh, R. Kelly like we did for Biggie Smalls. Certainly not saying that. But if you enjoyed his music, just like they've enjoyed the music of Michael Jackson or the films of O.J. Simpson or the uh, television or the or the records that were produced by Phil Spector or anybody that's fallen into ill repute 
shouldn't you just be able to continue to enjoy them without feeling guilty about it? 800-848-9222. Let me give you the other things on this list. Airline meals. That was the other first thing that I thought of. Airline extras. um, They bang you over the head with this stuff. When I used to fly, they used to give you a meal for free. It came with your ticket. Now that's not the case. This is something that I feel like made a brief, I don't know, splash, pardon the pun, but I feel like most restaurants don't do this anymore. Water in restaurants. So apparently there was, a few up until a few years ago, more and more restaurants, especially the fancier ones, they would charge for the water. And I, I've seen, I've been to some restaurants that they don't even offer tap water. The only option they offer you is bottled water, which you have to pay for. So that's something that's new. I still don't think that's the norm. Meals that you have to pay for on an airplane, that is the norm. That Those days of getting meals for free, gone. Hotel amenities, similar to airline tickets, they, they rake you over the coals with some type of resort fee, which is supposed to be for things like cleaning or a pool fee or a spa fee. That all used to be included. Now that you have to pay these resort fees, hotel amenities, no longer free. This is a good one. Food delivery, food delivery. Every Friday, I order from a local pizza shop of using a an app. They charge you for the delivery. The app charges you. Uh, now, Grubhub does the same thing. Uber Eats does the same thing. Food delivery used to be something that was included in the price that you paid for your meal. That's not not the case anymore. Look, a lot's been written about plastic bags in this country and the movement that some states are moving to charge for plastic bags. That's the case. ATMs. It used to be free to use an ATM. That's not the case anymore. I think unless you're going to your own bank branch, you got to pay. Sometimes even if you go to your own bank branch, depending on what kind of services you pay for, they sneak a fee in there. And there's all sorts of other banking fees, checking and this and that, that you now have to pay for that you didn't. But can you think of anything that you used to have to, that you used to be able to get for free, that you now have to pay for? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Mike is in Queens. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank. Uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, what you said about R. Kelly and his music. Uh, I think. Okay, if they don't like the artist, maybe, you know, take the name off the jukebox, but leave the name of the song. <laughs> so that's one way of doing it, uh, you know, and, and, and not banning everybody for anything they did. I mean, I, you know, I, I lived up in Buffalo for many years, and every now and then you see O.J. Simpson at, at, at the Bills games, right? And he's loved by the people up there regardless of what he did. Still? People know Still? the different – not everybody, not everybody, but I will tell you, Bills Mafia, they have a lot of respect for him. You know, when when uh, when he's up there, they, they show him the respect for what he did when he was in the bills. Not anything else, but that was it. You know, and, and that's something that people need to need to think about. They've got to differentiate between what they did and who they are. Now, there are people who are absolutely reprehensible that you would not exactly want to go to an art show for Adolf Hitler, for example. You know, those are the things that I guess you draw the line at. I don't know if that's right, but something for free, 
Yeah, Frank, water is, is, is a big thing. Used to see all these uh, drinking fountains in shopping malls. Uh, now all the drinking fountains seem to all be turned off and gone. That's that's one thing I noticed. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, I think water is one of those things. Thanks for the call, uh, Mike. Very thoughtful. You know, um, I, I guess the difference for me is, look, I don't want to endorse the music of John Hinckley, right? Um, I wouldn't want to go and um, support artwork that, uh, I don't know, a, a, a terrorist or a, a serial killer went out and produced, I don't think. But the difference is, I guess, in one case, you're dealing with music that you were already a fan of and that was already popular and was that you liked because of the music itself. Whereas if you were to become a fan of John Hinckley's music and put John Hinckley's music on your jukebox, it's almost to me like you're doing it because he's infamous. You see the difference? See, Michael Jackson, Gary Glitter, Bill Cosby, O.J. Simpson, these guys all produced great artistry before they were controversial. And the thing that I just worry about is, uh, Woody Allen, same, is that once you go down that slippery slope of not going along, not patronizing someone's work because of what they've done, then I think you have to research everything, right? Because not everybody's done what R. Kelly is alleged to have done, actually convicted of having done, but everybody's done something. You could find a skeleton in every closet. And I'm not sure that's the direction we want to go as patrons of anything. 800-848-9222. Sophia, give me an example of something that used to be free but that now costs money. Good morning, Frank. So if you may not be old enough to remember, 411, directory assistance, when you would call the you know the operator for someone's uh, phone number or something. I do remember that. You're, you're exactly yeah. right. Yeah, it's not free anymore. Yeah. Um, when did that change? Uh, it's been a while. It's been a good, I want to say, a good 20 years. And, of course, with all the fo- cell phones and everything, it's kind of obsolete now. I don't think anybody uses it. Right, and nowadays, if you have a, a, a smartphone or a computer, you just look up the phone number yeah. for whatever business you want. That's a good one. That's one yeah. that I didn't think of. That's a very good one. 800-848-9222. Rick in New Jersey. What's something that used to be free but that now costs money? Good morning, Frank. Uh, all gas station amenities, especially air. Well, I, that was the first thing I said, Rick. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I missed that. I turned down just as it was coming on. But all the amenities, they used to, why did you put that down? You know, the, the cleaning the windic shields and checking your tires. You can't even get them to do that now. Even well, for money. Even at a full service, they don't do that? <clears throat> well, New Jersey is all full service. Oh, right, you know, right, right. We're, we're too stupid to do it ourselves. <laughs> and you, you, you ask them to do that, and they, they look at, like, I got 15 cars waiting for me to give them gas. You want me to check your tires? You know, you just walk away. Yeah, well, fair point, Rick. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. By the way, uh, coming up at 6 a.m. Uh, Eastern on WABC, you will be treated once again to our owner, John Katsimatidis, co-hosting uh, the morning show with Bernard McGurk. So they have a star-studded lineup of guests, uh, Gordon Chang, John McLaughlin, Peter King, Miranda Devine. 
but you're going to want to tune in to hear uh, John Katsimatidis and Bernie McGurk. 800-848-9222. Chris is in Middletown. Hello, Chris. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Thanks. Well, it sounds like you're doing great. Um, my point is, uh, if you don't like the artist, the business, or whatever, it's very simple. Don't listen to it. Don't patronize it. Walk away from it. Well, I mean, I think everyone knows that, Chris, which is why I'm raising the question of what people are doing. If you have a business, should you be taking R. Kelly off your jukebox, as Dave is? I, I say no. Yeah, I'm with you, Chris. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Mike is in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning. Uh, so high school sporting events used to be free, if I remember back when I was a kid. But now you got to pay a few bucks. You know, I I found that as I was doing some research for that, and I wasn't sure how common that was. But that's now the norm that if you play high school sports, you've got to pay something. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's all not that expensive. A couple of bucks to get in, sit down, watch. Yeah. Well, no, that's certainly a change, Mike. No doubt about it. Certainly a change. Absolutely. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Coming up, we're going to play the $1,000 Minute and give you an opportunity to win $1,000. And we are going to uh, talk with Dorothy Stover. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's an extent, It's a continuation of a conversation we had uh, regarding topless beaches that are coming to Nantucket. She's sort of the person that proposed that. Lenny is in New Jersey. Hello, Lenny. Hello. All right. Lenny, you have another thoughts. All right. Why don't we give you an opportunity to be the seventh caller to um, 800-848-9222. And if you are the seventh caller, we'll give you an opportunity to uh, play the $1,000 minute. And if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, you'll win $1,000. Go ahead and be the seventh caller right now. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to... Ah, yes, the Time Warp from uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, a great song. And uh, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm doing the Time Warp now that we're airing in Nevada, because for the first two hours of this show in Nevada, we're, we're the underside of midnight. We're not even the other side. So we're both sides of midnight in the Silver State. But we're happy to be here. Big shout out to everybody listening on the Nevada Talk Radio Network. Uh, Without further ado, it is time for us to try and give away some money to see if uh, someone can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Moreau. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Ray in Mineola. Hello, Ray. Hello, 
Hello, Frank. Hello, Ray. Ray, you familiar with this game? I am. Okay, great. So the timer will begin uh, after I ask you the first question. And if you get for every question you get right, we're just going to move on to the next one so that we can move um, on to, through as many of these as possible, okay? Sure. All right. What are the colors of the American flag? Red, white, and blue. In addition to the New York area, what state is this show now airing in? I think you just said Nevada. What legendary king of rock is there currently a major motion picture out about? Elvis Presley. What singer sang the song American Pie? Oh, uh, that's a tough one, American Pie. Uh... He was just on 45 minutes ago. Don McLean? Don McLean? Who won the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest for the 15th time this year? Uh, That was Joe Chestnut. What federal agency is responsible for security of transportation systems in this country? Uh, Security? I'm going to go with Department of... Hmm... Department of Transportation? Uh, no. It is the, the TSA, uh, the uh, the TSA, the Transportation Security Administration. Uh, uh, okay. But uh, it was a good guess, though. A good guess. Uh, you did very well. You got uh, you got you were, you got up to question six, which is more than a lot of other people have gotten. Uh, Ray, I'm going to put you on hold. Give your information to Kenneth, and Kenneth, please take Ray's information, and we'll. Uh, give uh, Ray a consolation prize of some sort. Hey, a prize for all of you might be to take a trip up to Nantucket, where you may soon be able to visit a nude beach. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, If you want to listen to my discussion coming up with Dorothy Stover, you'll learn what we're talking about. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Nude beaches, straight ahead. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. I'll tell you, of all the uh, subjects that we covered in the last few weeks, one of one of them that uh, got the most amount of attention was this proposal out of Nantucket to permit topless beaches. I was shocked at the diversity of opinion on this subject. And the fact that everybody seemed to have an opinion or at least be interested in it. Well, very fortunate to be joined uh, by the person that started this whole uh, movement in Nantucket, Dorothy Stover, who is a sex educator and a seventh generation Nantucketer. She also happens to be the host of a podcast called um, Nantucket After Dark. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me on the radio, Dorothy. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So uh, I'm only 
half joking when I asked this question. Did you choose to become a sex educator because of all the dirty limericks about Nantucket? <laughs> I love that. No, um, I chose to become a sex educator. Um, well, I mean, the seed was planted when I was in my 20s. I wanted to, you know, I, I just love talking about sex. and um, But then it solidified when my grandmother was going through a lot of challenges. Um, uh, when it came to just her, um, well, for her OGBYN appointments that I would take her to, um, she had some challenges. So it really solidified a lot of things that we don't talk about. So I wanted to make sure mm. I was on the forefront to talk about these things that maybe have nothing to do with sexual activity, but have to do with just our everyday life. Yeah, well, that's great. Uh, good. For, what, what kind of work were you in before that? I was a matchmaker and love coach. Oh, so you're, you've always been in the field of, of romance and, and sex and sexuality and things like that. I have, yes. It's been, it's been fun. There you go. I can imagine. Um, what exactly does it mean, as you define it anyway, to be a, a sex educator? Wow, yes. So for me, I specialize in combining um, pleasure and combining God. So I infuse both sex and and spirit. Hmm. And so what that means is to, um, I call in God into the bedroom. And for people, whether they are the, themselves or a couple, um, to be able to connect with God through pleasure and heal themselves and activate um, their best self. And, uh, well, that's interesting. When I first learned about what's happening in Nantucket in the Wall Street Journal story, I had a a bunch of thoughts. One of them uh, was, I thought, how great is it that uh, Nantucket, like a lot of other towns in New England, utilizes this town meeting form of government? I just love that style of direct democracy. I'm curious, uh, we'll, we'll get to the proposal for the beaches in just a moment, but in general, having lived in Nantucket for a while and having family in Nantucket for a while, how do you feel about that town hall meeting style of government, which is so big up there? I think that's been the best part of this whole experience is the true democracy, right? Like we're putting the hands, we're putting power in the hands of the many. And so Nantucket has that, that a beautiful tradition, which a lot of towns have gotten rid of. Um, and so, yeah, I just love town meeting. I think it, it can be tedious, and, but that's part of um, the responsibility. Uh, th- I think it's great. I wish every town would have, would have something like this. I know. Yes. All right. So tell us about your proposal to um, allow beaches in Nantucket to be topless. What motivated you to do this? Why is this so important to you? Yes. So a few years ago, I saw this. The the seed was planted a few years ago when I saw this um, cartoon that was of a man and a woman, both topless, and they had the same exact body. And he said, Helen, how indecent of you. And so that, that planted the seed that it really made me think, right, they have the same body, and, but they're not able to be um, topless. And when I was at the beach last summer, I was laying out and I had this moment where I just wanted to take my top off and lay out in the sun. And I realized I couldn't. And I was looking around the beach. And I'm like, wait, there are men that have bigger breasts than I do. 
why am I not able to do this? And as a sex educator, um, I know that breasts have both men and women's chests have mammary glands, have nipples, have um, breast gland tissue. So they're they're pretty much the same. So when it comes down to it, it's like, wait, why is a man not able to be topless? But I am. And as I researched, I realized there was so much more um, to the history of bathing suits and, and bathing in general, which was very fascinating. You know, I know this has been litigated in New York and in a bunch of other states, but what is the law in most states regarding, um, uh, for lack of a better description, nipple equity, allowing men and women to uh, both walk around openly without a top? Yes, there's definitely states where it's it's all public places you can have top freedom. Um, And I know in the town of Austin, Texas, you're able to have top freedom in Massachusetts, it's a you're not able to have that. You have a three hundred dollar fine, as well as a possible three year sentence, and being on the um, sex offender list. Oh, sex offender list, really? That's uh, yes, that's something. So, uh, okay, so you proposed this article, and if people just tuning in, we're talking with Dorothy Stover. Uh, she is a uh, a sex educator and seventh generation Nantucketer, also the host of uh, the podcast Nantucket After Dark. You proposed uh, this article, and ultimately the it was a very contentious meeting, probably one of the more uh, passionate meetings on both sides of the issue that this town hall council has had in a while. But ultimately, the the town hall meeting chose to adopt your article, right? Correct. Yeah. So what happens next? Right now, the article is at the um, state level. So from there, um, Governor Healy will um, use her team and talk with her team and go through and see if this is constitutional or unconstitutional. And currently, the law is unconstitutional. So I would think that she would be going with what the town is looking to implement. Interesting. Okay. Well, but so Nantucket is in is in. Massachusetts, right? Correct. Yeah. But the the governor of Massachusetts is I, I was I thought Charlie Baker. Oh, did I get that? It's um, Governor Healy. Did I say it wrong? Maybe she, she's running for governor. I, I see. Oh, I, I, oh, I think she's the attorney general there. Thank you so much for correcting me. I appreciate it. Okay. No, no. I'm, I didn't mean to correct. It was just my own confusion uh, of who's who in Massachusetts. That's what I get for being a, a lifelong New Yorker. Now, when we talked about your proposal on this show, so do you have any idea of what the timetable is for the attorney general to approve or disapprove this article that was adopted by the town meeting? It's three months, 90 days from when it was submitted. And so I believe it was submitted at the end of May. And then, so I believe she has until August or September. So about that, about that range. Okay, got it. So uh, by the fall, more or less, that's when we get. When we talked about this uh, previously on air, a lot of callers, I'd say the consensus position was, that it's fine to have a certain section of the beach where women could go topless, but uh, people should be able to choose 
that sort of a, a thing rather than have have it surprise them, especially if they're there with families. What under your proposal, if it's adopted and approved by the attorney general, would it be the whole beach or would it be certain sections of the beach? It would be the whole beach. When I spoke with town council, um, we we spoke about this and and we spoke in length and realized if we still had think maybe sections of the beach that women could be topless, that would still not be equality. And that would still, you know, so it wouldn't be equality. And so we ultimately decided it would be, or ultimately he advised me and, or the discussion led to that to stay with equality and have all beaches be topless. Now, what top optional, top optional, right? So it's not mandated that you have to take your top off, but you have the option. (laughs) Got it. So um, what if parents uh, aren't yet ready to have conversations with their, say, younger children about nudity, particularly if it's a nudity of the the opposite gender? What do you say to folks that that had concerns or may have concerns about that? Yes, I've had people reach out and being topless isn't nude. Um, nudity is the genitalia. And so when it comes to if you if there is a parent that feels uncomfortable having that conversation, I completely understand that. There are many conversations with, with children that I'm sure parents are very uncomfortable with having. Um, so that is taking it in their own time. Um, there are parents that there's something happening in the streets and they're like, I'll tell you when you're older. So it, it is really up to the parents when they discuss. Maybe it is a situation where they say, I'll tell you when you're older. But most parents that I have come in contact with just say those are breasts. And most children already know. Um, most children are breastfed. Most children, that's where their comfort comes from. Um, so most children already know or on some degree. Well, one of the things that uh, I saw was raised in the town hall meeting was a a concern about who might end up coming and not coming to Nantucket if this were to be adopted. Uh, Nantucket has a, a long history as, uh, I, I think, largely a, a, a family community that has preserved a lot of its history. You've been there for a long time. I think you could speak to it better than me. What if this proposal, uh, understanding everything that you're saying about equity, about fairness, about um, breasts not really being reflective of nudity, what if this proposal, once it's implemented, ends up changing the kind of folks that want to live in or visit Nantucket? Maybe folks that don't want to see women's breasts on a beach wouldn't go there, and instead it would attract a, a wilder college crowd, for instance. Right. I'm not sure. I mean, the college crowd tends to come Memorial Day weekend. And so the island is still expensive. Um, It's it's definitely it'll always have this um, community feel to it. And and for sure, um, I've had people who have reached out that are like, this is actually supportive of my family. So island families that are in support of this, um, other people that have been coming to the island for you know, 30 years, they're like, this is supportive of my family. So I think there's already people here and people that also visit the island that this is very supportive of. And so I I don't necessarily see this being a big change. It's something that I've actually just learned people have been doing all over the island. It's just not legal. Hmm. Hmm. Do do you think that uh, people in general are, and Nantucketers specifically, 
Do you think they tend to be a little too uptight about seeing women's breasts? No, we're definitely a different, you know, being on an island, we're very different. And and we have that history of being different. And so, I mean, in the 70s, we were a bunch of artists, you know, there was a big artist community, and there still is. So we're, yeah, I would not say we're uptight about it. Um, What do other communities like Cape Cod and Martha's Vineyard do on their beaches? I think there are a couple of beaches where there's relaxed um, understanding when it comes to the beaches on the Cape. Um, I've definitely had some people who have reached out from the Cape that love this and are looking if this passes, that they would like to implement it on their beaches. And let's say the attorney general does rule that this is unconstitutional and they don't allow the Nantucket uh, article that you've proposed to be implemented. What's then the next step for you in your mission to allow topless optional beach bathing, uh, sunbathing in Nantucket? If this passes, is that, did I hear you correctly? No, if the attorney general doesn't allow it to pass. Ah, you know, I'm taking it one day at a time, so I haven't thought that far. (laughs) Um, I'm, yeah, just taking it as it comes. So so I haven't, uh, yeah, I haven't gone that far. All right. And in general on your podcast, uh, Nantucket After Dark, what, uh, what kind of issues do you cover generally if people want to listen? Yes. So we connect God and spirit and we also discuss, um, anything, anything on the spectrum of sex and relationships with spirit in the mix. Um, and uh, you know what you mentioned your experience with your with your grandparent. It's you know there's been a whole bunch of articles that have been well documented about in part because of um, the graying of America, in part because of uh, performance enhancing drugs like uh, Viagra and Cialis. That there's been an uptick in the number of senior citizens that are remaining sexually active later in life. Is that your experience based on your research? On research, for sure. Um, There's, and that's, I think our society seems to think that sex stops at a certain age and actually it can become this beautiful, um, beautiful experience for people well, well into their hundreds. So you, you can still be active. For sure, into their hundreds. Wow, I have yes, I've 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 definitely seen some some information. So it's I think yes, you can have a sex life um, in your adult life at any age. Um, one of the things that we've also talked a little bit on on the radio about is a budding movement, both in this country and in Canada towards uh, polyamory or polyamorous relationships. There's a lot of TV shows uh, that both reality shows and scripted shows that deal with this. Is that something you're noticing? Um, More people shying away from monogamy and more towards polyamory? I am seeing that, actually. I find it fascinating. Um, And I'm I'm definitely someone who believes people should love freely and be in relationships and how that ever how that looks for them. Um, so giving people freedom to be who they are in in whatever capacity. 
Um, well, that's certainly that's certainly interesting. What, what do you think that's about? Why, why do you think there's a movement towards polyamory? I think there's a movement towards polyamory because there, for so long there's been an expectation that our significant other should be everything to us mm. and we should be everything to our significant other. And this just isn't true. We, um, there are different parts of relationships that where you could potentially find someone that is a better match, but yet you maybe have a partner that's a different match in, in another area. So I do believe that people are looking to not necessarily put so much pressure on their part, their partner, but to have um, love and experience love in different ways. And that doesn't necessarily include sexual activity. So hmm. uh, we can have love in different ways. Yeah, Dorothy, let me uh, end with this, uh, which I think will take into account your experience as a matchmaker and your experience now as a, uh, a sex educator and a podcast host that deals with some of these relationship issues. If people are... Um, not in a relationship currently, but they'd li- they'd like to be. Let's say they're dating. Let's say they've just gotten out of a long-term relationship. Give folks, be they male or female, um, you know, uh, gay or straight, give folks an idea of uh, one pro tip that they can use to woo someone that they're trying to court. Give uh, What's a common mistake people make that you can help them avoid? The most common, well, I can tell you the, what people are looking for. Every, every single person when I was matchmaking was looking for the same thing, and that was someone comfortable in their own skin. So if you are comfortable with yourself and you love yourself, that's really going to shine through when you're on a date. And that's dating is a weeding out process. So it's not something where you're looking to snag somebody. You're looking to be your true self, and you want to make sure you're with someone who's their true self. Hmm. So it's weeding things out. That's certainly good advice uh, when it comes to dating or anything else. Dorothy Stover, uh, thanks for getting up early for us. Uh, good luck with what uh, what you're doing up there. Please keep us posted on how things are unfolding. Thank you so much, and thank you so much for having me. Thank you. It. Uh, our pleasure. If anyone wants to comment on uh, any portion of our conversation, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame next. 800-848-9222. We have one, two, three open lines, and you could comment on anything you like for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Thank you, Andy B., for this marvelous uh, rendition of our theme song. By the way, programming note tomorrow, 
in the first hour of our program, we are going to be joined by uh, the one and only Dr. Sky, Steve Cates. There's a lot of sky gazing that is going to be taking place in the uh, forthcoming days and weeks, especially with the supermoon coming up. So we're going to talk to him. Brian Kilmeade is going to be talking as well. And uh, we are going to do a very special edition of the AC Report where we com- we compare the casinos that Nevada has to offer with the ones that uh, Atlantic City, New Jersey, has to offer. It is interesting. You know, I was in Las Vegas last March and at a great time. And uh, w- the interesting thing is my wife is planning for us to go out there and she's looking at her phone and the temperature. She's going to be freezing when we're out there. You Don't bring anything short sleeve. Bring all long sleeve. I said, honey, that sounds strange. I mean, I know it's March, but it's Las Vegas. It's always hot. And uh, she said, so she said, no, I'm looking, I'm monitoring it. And she's showing me. I said, it's all right. Okay. So we get there and it's hot. And the Uber driver picks us up at the airport, and um, she said, I thought it wasn't supposed to be hot weather. And the driver says, no, it's always hot here. And then, sure enough, my wife had been looking up the temperature and the weather for Las Vegas, New Mexico, not Las Vegas, Nevada. So when you plan a trip to Nevada, especially if you're from the East Coast, be sure... You're going to the right state. Without further ado, it is time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. Say whatever you like in those 15 seconds within reason. 800-848-9222. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Rogers in Massachusetts. Yeah, hi, thanks. I hope wherever you get to drive is something, you know, fairly substantial, something nice and comfortable to drive, not some little tin box. Cheech in Howard Beach. This is a bit of advice to that mayoral aide who got uh, mugged there by the two guys. Don't mention the mayor no more. You got to say, hey, I know Curtis Sliwa and Cheech from Howard Beach. We'll come out there. We'll knuckle these guys' heads. Leo on the Upper West Side. There's new new nickname for, uh, for Adam. I just said it on 4th of July and most of the capsules laughing. Brendan of Brooklyn. Ah, that's that's actually pretty clever. Tyrone in the Bronx. Yeah, Frank, what happened to matrimonial values and holding hands in public and being nice to your girlfriend? What is this about getting naked in a public beach? Neil on Staten Island. Frank, next year it's me and you in Nantucket. Rachel, don't wait up for him. He'll be a few days late. Russ is in uh, White Plains. You can have sex with yourself up until 100, but there'll be a lot more incels with these seven psychopaths on the Supreme Court stealing our reproductive rights. Ray in Woodhaven. My parents started to wonder about my sexual orientation when they found out that my pen pal was a UCLA gymnast named Chip. Fred in Garfield. Yeah, Frankie, I'm 86, and when I put the dollar in the gas station for the air, nothing came out because I put the money in the vacuum cleaner. Oh, boy. Uh, Joe in Queens. Yeah, Dorothy, uh, interesting interview, but does that bring unwanted attention, potentially, to a woman? 
Well, I mean, I would think that you then wouldn't do that if you didn't may not want that attention. But I don't know. Just putting it out there. Hey, um, tomorrow, Dr. Sky, Brian Kilmeade, and a very special edition of the AC Report with a Nevada twist. Uh, you want to stay in touch, follow me on Twitter at Frank Morano. You can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Frank Morano, good day.